Good day, everybody. Ben Qualiata from the Beyond the Fence podcast, and welcome to our NBA season preview podcast series. Episode one is the Southeast Division, so we have guests coming in to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, the Charlotte Hornets, Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, and Washington Wizards. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Joining us now on Beyond the Fences NBA season preview to talk all things Atlanta Hawks. It's all the way from Ireland via Peachtree Hoops on SB Nation. Graham Chappell, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, thank you. And you got my name uh, correct on the first attempt. <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh, it's not that hard. I mean, my, mine's almost impossible if you read it for a first go, but you know. <laughs> I, I got to ask, uh, before we get into it... Uh, I know I've got a pretty weird origin story as a Pistons fan in Australia, but a Hawks fan in Ireland, how does that happen? How does that happen? <laughs> um, I guess it started back in the, the 2013 postseason. I had a few friends who were into it and they got me into it. And now I hate them for having me uh, up at <laughs> all sorts of nights. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine the because t- we get it down here with obviously when we want to watch European sports, like well, the the football anyway. But then yeah, I guess our NBA season it's midday, so it's it's all right. But yeah, I can't imagine it's four AM or so normally for you guys, isn't it? Uh, it's the West Coast games are what kind of really <laughs> take the uh, take the piss a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, how are you feeling heading into the season? Yeah, good. I I'm excited because I know it's been a bit of a we haven't had as much a downtime with the uh, the off season with uh, obviously the the season running a bit later later last season. So it's been a nice mix between a nice little break and you know not being off for too long heading into a heading into a new season. I'm excited. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of potential for the season just for so many different teams. I think it's really a uh, I think it's really exciting as even as a neutral fan of basketball. So I'm really excited to kind of finally get stuck into it, into it all again. Yeah. It did feel like a shorter dog days section. Didn't I guess the Olympics helped. Mm. So it did feel a little bit shorter still. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel you. Yeah, and I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it to start. I'm over the, the waiting and the fussing around with narratives. Now, speaking of <laughs> narratives, um, obviously the media loves a, a predetermined narrative heading into a season. So what do you think is the most prevalent one for the Hawks? 
It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they're not one of these teams that has like a long time established star, like a Kevin Durant or something, or a Kyrie Irving, or so. Given that the Hawks were kind of the, um, I don't want to say the darling of last season because of the postseason, but they're kind of a, f- a fresh face on the on the block. So I guess the the big narrative, I guess, is well, you know, was it was it all a fluke? Can they can they do it again? Yeah, because I think you look at last season and especially in the Eastern Conference, the the teams you thought were going to be there or thereabouts at the end. And I don't think many people would have seriously picked the Hawks to, well, obviously to go as far as they did. I think most people had penciled in a Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Eastern Conference finals. But then, you know, that, the Hawks were in that series against Milwaukee and then maybe just the youth got in their way in the end or just the inexperience of being that deep in the playoffs. But I think it's going to shift now from, I know you didn't want to call them a darling, but they probably were a bit of a darling for a lot of, neutrals and people that just wanted to see a bit of chaos in the league a bit of a shake-up uh, I guess it's it's more about how they follow that up that that classic sophomore slump yeah absolutely and uh, you say like, like inexperience and the injuries as well played their part in the uh, towards the end of that postseason run as well with uh, Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter kind of missing out some some time there as well but that's that's the thing like can can they can they dare to dream again how, how big a loss was Hunter? Because I think it, it really noticed, and even Reddish was injured for those playoffs and he came back and played really well, but I thought Hunter was a pretty big loss. Yeah, Hunter was a was a big loss. The Here's a thing that people, I think, may not realise, but when Hunter was originally injur- injured early in the season, he was probably playing the best basketball of any Hawk, and that intrude, includes Trey Young at the time. Like he, that's, how, that's how good Hunter was at the start of the season. And... Obviously, they just gone back towards the you know the end of the end of the regular season or beginning of the postseason, and kind of that excitement, that hope, I guess, crept in, and then obviously had to be uh, shut down again. So he, yeah, look, he's obviously such a offensively, he really grew last year, and the Hawks learned to rely on him a bit. Obviously, defensively, he can get after it too. So yeah, just uh, just a really tough loss on on both ends of the floor for the Hawks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to, I guess. You know, transactions are always going to be part of the NBA. It's such a volatile league. Uh, addition or loss, it doesn't even have to be a player. It can be, you know, however you want to answer the question, but what transaction do you think will have the largest impact on the Hawks? If you want to go the non-player out, I think, I think keeping Nate McMillan was a pretty big uh, pretty big deal for them to uh, to get done. But if you want to get for an actual player, they it's weird because the Hawks enjoyed a fair amount of uh, continuity, like the re-signed John Collins, Trey Young just got... Uh, signed for an extension. Uh, Lou Williams is back. The only real major addition that they brought in that you'd say would really help them would be DeLon Wright at the backup point guard, a bit of a backup point guard stability, which was sorely, sorely needed after Rajon Rondo. Oh my goodness, that was <laughs> that was really rough to watch. So they, uh, <laughs> that Lou Williams trade was an absolute, uh, absolute gift for the Hawks to uh, get a few second rounds and Lou Williams in return. But DeLon Wright will add some point guard stability defense. You know, he'll, he'll add a bit there. And uh, the, the numbers with Trey Young off the court last season, I have to hear, uh, I think they're a total minus 100 with Young off the floor and comfortably their lowest offensive rating at 104 when Young was off the floor. The, the, the non-Trey Young minutes were a huge problem. And last season, even during the regular season, you were just hoping that if the Hawks had any sort of lead, that they could hold it while Young was out. <laughs> and, you know, that that's obviously a problem. Now, look, you, you can't expect to hit your offensive height with Young off the floor. So, so, so some drop-off is to be expected, but not the level that was seen at times last year. So I think DeLon Wright will 
uh, be a, a nice steady uh, presence there at backup point guard. Yeah, Dolan's an interesting one. Obviously, I watched him a bit closely last year, at least in the first half of the season. And I, I pretty much assumed he was going to come in to be that mentor for Killian Hayes. And then he ended up, I don't think he was expecting to start, but he got, got forced into it with the injury and then probably played himself out of Detroit with how well he played um, being traded at the deadline to Sacramento. I think it was Sacramento. I've already forgotten. Jesus. Mm. Um, but, you know, he, he played himself a lot. You know, he did himself no harm and I think his reputation in the league. So it, it's good to hear that he, I guess, still has this value as a, a, a triple-double threat. Obviously, he won't be starting for Atlanta, but, you know, that stat sheet stuffing bigger point guard uh, that can do a bit of everything. Obviously, not a liability defensively. In a pinch, could probably play some off-ball with Trey as well or let Trey play off-ball because I think uh, Zalon was really good in a lot of two-guard lineups for Detroit last year. Um, another person I wanted to touch on was John Collins. And there was obviously a lot of, I guess, noise around him last season. Uh, would he or won't he, will he or won't he be traded? Uh, were you worried at all by that? I was more worried about when that story came out. I think it was from the Athletic about, you know, Collins and Young possibly getting into a little bit off the course with uh, after it was a bit of a tough season, a bit of a tough start to the season last uh last time out but really trade deadline we just didn't know really what to expect like they could have traded them I just didn't know what they were going to get back if they were and I originally thought perhaps they were going to move them when they made that Gallinari signing last uh last uh last summer and I was uh I guess I was fearful because I think John Collins is one of those players that could that has you know if he was in a different situation where you know obviously he's not behind this offensive superstar like Trey Young is that he could have the chance to be an all-star somewhere yeah he's definitely got the potential to put those numbers up uh, he's just a quality player who's shown growth in each one of his uh four years so far so I was really hopeful that they wouldn't trade him I'm very very glad that they uh they didn't and uh that they've managed to agree an extension as well and uh big big shout to John Collins for getting a bit like that extra extra cash that egg. I think it was the next four years, 90 or so that he turned down. And I managed to give himself a nice, a nice max deal for himself. Yeah, it's always a risk. You can see what happens when you reject the bag, like Dennis Schroeder did. Um, sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it did. Um, yeah, poor Dennis. Oh, he deserves it. He didn't handle that one well at all, did he? No, no, he did not. <laughs> um, what, what does a best case scenario season look like for the Hawks this year? It's a tough one because obviously you're there's a bit more expectation this time around. Obviously they just made the conference finals. Best case scenario, you know, they it looks like you know if they could try and get back there or go one step further to get to the NBA finals would be, I guess that's your best case scenario, isn't it? Because it's you know you're, you're talking about a team that's just made the conference finals. Like what, the next, you know, the best case scenario is like either make it back or go one step further. That might be a bit more difficult to achieve this season though yeah I imagine when you've got a such a young team like the Hawks and maybe playing a little bit above their heads last year to get as far as they did realistically you know without becoming too I guess optimistic or uh Kool-Aid drinking it, it, you'd be looking for a more you know consolidation and proving that it was it wasn't a fluke I guess that's how I'd read it anyway yeah and the thing about their season last year was that they're obviously they've made the postseason and they did a lot of their work there but like the regular season there's a lot of potential for improvement they were barely healthy in the regular season last year there was always someone 
of note missing. So we, I think we never got to see the, their true potential in many ways. I think that would be the, the, I guess, the room for optimism for uh, for them, I, th- I guess, this season. But I guess it also, look, their fate also is dependent on so, a few other teams, I'd say, capitulating somewhat. We don't know what will, the story will be with the Nets and Kyrie Irving and what limit that has on their, on yeah. their ceiling. Uh, you know, a potential, I'm knocking, knocking wood, uh, a Giannis kind of injury obviously would put the Buck season into a bit of a, Bit of disarray. So I think to get back to that, uh, and obviously the Sixers that was uh, with uh, their Ben Simmons scenario is still to uh, <laughs> yeah. still to play out. But I guess some of their best case scenario, I think, it is a little. I guess it is with any kind of season, any team is somewhat dependent on what happens to other teams potentially. Yeah, obviously, it's really hard to quantify something in a vacuum when there's so many external factors. Mm. But um, on the flip side, I guess. A worst case scenario is that, you know, play in spot. It, obviously, worst case scenario is missing the playoffs altogether, but a realistic worst case scenario that you expect the Hawks could be in danger of. Yeah, you like the play in, obviously, it, it could end up being a, a, a factor this year because I think the Eastern Conference has a, I think it's a strong potential for the Eastern Conference to ha- have a very similar season to what we saw uh, for the, some of those other playoff spots during the 15 16 season where you had the Heesh, Hawks, Hornets, and Celtics on locked to 48 wins. And there is potential that it could be that tight. You have the obviously the Heesh will be, should be in the mix. The Knicks, in theory, you know, should, or at least we could be back to what they were last year as well, kind of contender for home court, the Hawks in the mix as well. So it could end up being very tight there. Uh, play play in would be a pretty pretty bad case uh, scenario, but I, I guess even looking, obviously a Trey Young injury would obviously be the uh, long term injury, like ACL or something, would be your worst case oh, yeah, scenario for sure. But we don't, we don't uh, talk about those things. That <laughs> no, <laughs> not good. Uh, but the I guess another I guess even like that's like like that's obvious, right? Like uh, yeah, that's yeah. obvious. Like, but, uh, I, I, even like a kind of a dark horse would be like Clint Capella. If something happened to him during the season, he because Anyeke Okongwu, who showed some real signs of uh, growth during the postseason, he's out at least December with a I believe a shoulder injury. And even last season, if something happened to Capella, you know that I really fear the Hawks would really lose out in the win column because look Trey Young can miss some time there's enough I think there's enough offensive talent to make up for a temporary loss of Young like like we saw last year with the ankle you have Bogdan Bogdanovich who can who can and did step into that role to be that lead scorer you've got Gallinari can obviously go off John Collins obviously you can rely upon other players can get hot but if something happened to that backbone and Clint Capella that would that could easily lead into your kind of your play in or even missing out potentially as well. That's I think that's how important Clint Capella is to the Hawks. Well, no, surely you just get Joel Okafor to step in. <laughs> <laughs> Are uh, you I, I, I like I like Joel Okafor, but I, I would be surprised if he, if he made the cut. Yeah. Are you worried at all with the new interpretation or I guess focus on? shooters leaning in because we know how effective Trey Young is at that sort of thing like James Harden are you worried that that could cut his effectiveness at all it's hard to say because we haven't really seen it in action and you're young in action obviously I believe there's a there's a rule change a few years ago that was supposed to hinder free throw uh collectors so we call them like James Harden and I think the best players always find a way yeah to adapt and I think Young, he's always been very crafty in terms of drawing fouls. So 
it may, I think at the start, possibly, we might see a bit of a, a bit of a drop off, maybe in terms of free throw attempts per game. But I think Young is just that crafty that he will find a way to get back to that free throw line. So that would be that would be my thought on the real changes. We just haven't seen too much of it in action, I suppose, yet. Yeah, and it's not necessarily, and I bring this up all the time. It's not a criticism of the player; it's more a criticism of, the, I guess, the mm. the uh, the rule itself. You know, r- the one you're referring to, that you know, turning uh, rip throughs from automatic shooting fouls into side outs, unless that they made it a bit subjective, I guess, by trying to rule whether the sh- he was actually going up or whether he was ripping through. It's a mess. I don't like the. It's a mess. I absolutely mm. hate it. Um, I think you're right, though. The best players do find a way to to I guess con the refs for lack of a better word and there's <laughs> it's about working angles and with a guy like at Trey Young size anyway he's obviously used to being hit and going inside anyway so I think a naturally a guy like him is going to get the Falcons regardless I don't think uh hopefully a more than a cosmetic shift in the rule but I don't think that's going to affect uh his style play too much um you know he'll probably just shoot instead of pump faking and I don't think that's any less dangerous so <laughs> And that, like, you have his, uh, it kind of is his agility. I think was also, will also help in, I guess, <laughs> like you say, calling the refs. I think in some ways as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very shifty, very hard to stay in front of. Um, the Hawks. Maybe this would have been a, a more interesting question last year, but uh, well, with the the stack of younger guys and rookie scale guys on the team, but uh, and I don't like the word underrated because guys become so underrated that they become overrated, but. In that general class on the Hawks this year, who are you most excited for a breakout? Yeah, you, definitely this question would have been uh, a good one good one last year because you'd love to say DeAndre Hunter, but given what he showed last year, you can't really put him in that conversation anymore. And John Collins, look what averaged 20 and 10 the previous season. I'll, I'll go for a guy that I really enjoy watching. Now, he came to prevalence a little bit in, in the postseason, more so one particular game, but I'm a big fan of Kevin Herter's game. And... Someone who I would view as a sharpshooter, but can also handle the ball, facilitate, take some of that pressure off of Trey Young. This is his. This is his. He's heading into his fourth season now. Uh, there's yet to be a deal uh, negotiated for an extension. He's hitting restricted free agency this year. I am a big fan, and I think he is often overlooked, especially because there's a lot of fandom out there for obviously Hunter uh, for Reddish, especially. <laughs> Gee, there is yep. a lot of uh, fandom for. <laughs> For the uh, the Cam Fam, as uh, they, right here, they right call here. it. <laughs> big, big fan of Cam Reddish. So, uh, but in all that, Kevin Herter, I think, often gets overlooked. And we saw an absolutely amazing game seven from him in uh, against the Sixers to get the Hawks through over the, the one seat. So I I always uh, have a soft spot for Kevin Herter. So I would say I'm most excited for him this season, just to continue watching him. He's just I just really enjoy his game. Yeah, he kind of falls into that classic bucket when he gets drafted um, of being, I guess, limited in his, uh, sorry, in what other people view of him as a shooter. Mm. Like, not to, uh, it's the only example I can think off the top of my head because I've watched it for so many years, but Luke Kennard is the same kind of deal. And obviously Hurd has probably kicked on a bit more than we hoped Kennard would, but that uh, primary shooter who has the ability to handle a bit and create off the bounce that you maybe wouldn't have expected normally watching college tape or like what you would have seen maybe earlier on his NBA career. Are, are you worried that he might be lost to an extension? Like the Hawks might be priced out with all these guys they've got coming up? Possibly. They have their big, obviously they have their big ones out of the way with uh, with Collins and, and, and Young. 
I would be fearful that if they didn't get something agreed before the deadline, that he could be one of those players who could be priced away from the Hawks. John Collins was, I think, on like you know they seem to have a they have a, a plan to get him sorted once they once they actually retained him, but. Herder, I would because obviously there's so much money invested. But obviously, there's obviously Gallinari. Yep. You've got possibly oh. Hunter's extension to think about. Big uh, Gallo, uh, you've got Hunter's extension possibly to think about soon enough. He's heading to his third year this year. Yeah, Herder might be the one that could be priced away if he isn't signed to an extension. So that would, yes, I would that that would be my fear for him. Yes. Yeah, so you've got Hunter's extension coming up potentially. Obviously, Cam Reddish's um, whatever that decision is. Kong was a bit. A bit, a bit way down the track, um, but also mm. you've got that money tied up in Clint Capella as well. So it's mm-hmm. not a question of, I guess, because obviously the Hawks would have the bird right, so they can keep Herder. It's more a tax question and, you know, we know how owners love finicking around with with tax lines. So mm-hmm. um, I think they'd ideally like to keep the, the core together, but I don't know. It, I think Herder would do himself a disservice if he signed now. He'd probably get a discounted rate, but again, it's that risk, isn't it? It's I mean, You don't want to be caught holding the bag like Dennis no, certainly not. But Herder has, I think, <laughs> age will definitely help Herder, I think, in his uh, in his battle there compared to Schroeder. Well, yeah. Yeah, people will pay for that potential, even if he has a down year. <laughs> if, if a player on the Hawks is going to win an individual award, and we can include uh, All-Stars and All-NBA and all that sort of stuff in this, uh, but what player... Obviously, Trey Young is obviously... If there was someone outside of Trey Young, maybe who was that? Or is it just Trey Young? If- yeah, in many ways, it is just Trey Young, really. Uh, all NBA, certainly. Uh, I mean, if the Hawks had a hot enough start to the season and are, you know, you know, first, second in the East, possibly by the time All-Star comes around or close to us, uh, generally speaking, they, they coaches do look for, you know, at the team success. So maybe that could be a way for John Collins to get in if he's having that uh, that winning impact that that coaches so often kind of can often look for. So if that that would be the, the case for, for Collins, I think, to... Uh, to to sneak it, but really you you are looking at Trey Young for All Star to get back to an All Star, which is sounds weird to say given how the the postseason went, but he did not make the All Star team uh, <laughs> last year. So look, if you were to talk about Trey Young and MVP, obviously it has that has to be completely hinged to the Hawks. I'd say you know first in the East that I, I don't see a path where he could win MVP without that. Do I think that's likely? I don't. No, I, I don't. Not this season, at least. <laughs> but you know, if you're if you're talking about that kind of thing, that's the kind of path you would be uh, expecting for something like that to uh, to play out. Oh, you've also got you know the the man the six name the six man award is named after. You've got the Lou Williams Memorial Trophy, so surely that's always that's always going to be there, regardless of how <laughs> he actually plays. Reputation always helps, huh? Yeah, um, and also I guess. DeAndre Hunter as a third year player, they 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 generally start to, you know, they love giving that most improved to a third year guy. I'm against giving it to second year guys because it's just an expected leap. Mm. Do you think Hunter's shown enough last year that he might be out of that conversation, or is this a prime most improved candidate? Yeah, I think you're right. I think he showed too much last year and didn't get to show enough of it in other ways. Obviously, with the uh, obviously being out for so long, but I, yeah, he well he averaged. I think he averaged 15 points per game at the end of a uh, end of last season and unless he's making a leap to 22 or something, which seems unlikely, I would, I think, yeah, I think sadly it was all spent a bit, bit too quickly for a most improved for DeAndre Hunter, sadly. 
Well, maybe the the timeout helps him in that he's um, he's forgotten about by the voters. You never know. That that would, that would be the only hope, really. If he's if he just becomes <laughs> like, oh, he's, DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter is suddenly good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But who knows? I've seen Stranger Things. Yeah. Now I don't know how much of a gambling man you are, and we talked about this just before we jumped on the recording. Uh, we're trying to find a, a uniform over under number for the Hawks, and well, the one I've been using for all the other teams, it's has the Hawks at forty seven and a half wins. Uh, are you taking over or under? I would take the over. To be fair, I think I would. I know the East is a little better. The Heat should be a bit better. Yeah, we don't know. Well, the Sixers should obviously still be close enough to you know fifty odd wins. I'm not sure what they what you know what their over is at the moment. Sixers, Sixers, they are. I had that open in front of me, and I've lost it. They are fifty one and a half. Mm. So even with the Simmons stuff, I imagine with Embiid, that should be should be an issue. I know the Knicks. The Knicks are an inter- interesting one. I think they could they could they could possibly drop off. So I think the Hawks, if obviously the big quantifier is if they stay healthy this season. And they even came close to it last season, even despite all their uh, all their health issues. The gang is mostly back together. They added the long right. Uh, yeah, you expect the young guys to take a bit, you know, another step, being a year a year older. I think it's very very much in play that they definitely. I think they can get the over for sure. Yeah, I look at a few of these lines. I'm not going to bore everyone with a comprehensive analysis of it now, but you look at some of these lines and you think, oh, that's that's a bit low, especially I think the teams that are very, very low lines, you kind of have to take the over because it's cowardice otherwise. Mm. Um, but then with the Hawks, I look at that line and I, it's one of those ones where I don't know the point of the over-under is to make you think because it's ideally it's mm. meant to be what it's going to be. But that's one of the the more uh, on the fence, uh, be on the fence, nice. But it's one of the more on the fence ones <laughs> that I can, I look at it and I go, I don't know if I'd even touch that line because I just, it's, it's, it seems pretty fair to me, especially the, the teams that got them, I guess, in the same neighborhood as. Uh, you look at the Celtics and the, at least in the Eastern Conference, Celtics and Heat, uh, pretty much around that figure as well. Sixers just ahead of them. So I look at that line and I just go, well, that's, it's, pro- I probably shade towards over as well, just based on natural improvement, but it's, it's a tight one for me. Mm, I, I, I could definitely see them getting about, 50 wins or so. I, the Celtics is the one I was of where we, where you are with the Hawks, I think. The Celtics one, I, they're, they're also 47 and a half, 48 and a half. Yep, tied, 47 and a half. I, I look at that one, and I think, I, I look at that one, and I think, oh, that's that's a tough one. So I, I'm I'm where you are with, with, the, with the Celtics, then you are where, like you are with the Hawks, I think. In fairness, most teams in that 40 to, oh, sorry, like that 42 to 48 range, mm. you just naturally go, well, geez it's tough and then you got other teams that you just go well that's ridiculous i'm smashing the over under on that one um finally i i generally to be polite i ask to give a safe mild or bold prediction but you know what surely you're not going to bore me with a safe prediction so what have you got congrats (laughs) yeah what do you got Uh... for me uh, for a bit of a mild one, I think home court advantage, and, and, and that's 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 generally mild. I think that's not too it's not too outrageous to think possibly could be in the offing. They, they could make home court advantage, uh, but the ball prediction would be you know to get back to that conference finals or NBA finals. I really think that's where obviously look the bar was set so high, uh, but obviously the East got better. The Nets should like, even Irving aside, you know Durant and Harden and should you know in theory be be healthy again so even with those two you've got a 
lot yeah. to deal with. The books obviously coming off their their title, wanting to defend. So the East, in theory, has gotten has gotten better. So I think the bold prediction would be that they can be one of those two teams again in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and I think I, I think you're right in, with that mild one. You look at well, the Hawks were the fifth seed last year, so it's only a one spot jump after making the conference finals. So you you would think that it's um, you know not not it's definitely not outside the realms of possibility at all. I wouldn't have thought with this team. Absolutely, again, like, and they like the one thing they've talked about the Hawks themselves is that they they were barely healthy last season, and there's belief that if they are, then. Who knows? I mean, they were right there for home court last year, despite all of coaching changes, injuries. Like, I think I can't remember if they had the same record as the Knicks, or they were just a game behind. But it was all very tight there. Same record. And same record. Yeah, just the record. The yeah, tie record. Didn't, didn't, uh... No. Oh, that's right. The, the, the that's right. Trey Young uh, comes up injured with the uh, in that third uh, that third Knicks game. But uh, regardless, I think. It it sounds boring, doesn't it? Like this is like the, the, the you know, just to get back to where they. Well, obviously with the with the how the East obviously improved in theory, you know, it's that's that's where they're looking at really. Yeah, and you, we didn't even mention Nate McMillan, but I think a full off season with him as well in charge probably doesn't doesn't hurt. Definitely. No, absolutely. Uh, they loved playing for him when he even when he was an assistant, and then obviously when he when he took the reins, and obviously. He'd, uh, his his rotations are uh, can be a little a uh, little questionable at uh, at times, but yeah. <laughs> other than that, though, he had a. There's no doubt the positive influence he had over the uh, over the team. So a full season with him at the start this season should uh, should obviously play into the Hawks' hands as well. I, I don't think I've seen a fan of a team not complain about their coaches' rotations at <laughs> some point. So I think there's always the one guy that's not getting enough minutes, and one guy that's getting too many. So mm-hmm. yeah, join, you can join the club with everyone else on that one. <laughs> Uh, have you got anything to promote where people can find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Graham underscore Chapel. And uh, you can find my Hawks work at Peachtree Hoops. will be uh, pretty busy this year, I reckon. So <laughs> uh, other than that, that is, uh, that is me. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on to Talk Hawks and yeah, best of luck for your guys for the season. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was fun. Hornets get it back. Here comes LaMelo Ball with his hair on fire. All right, joining us now on Beyond the Fences NBA season preview to talk all about the Charlotte Hornets from the Buzzbeat podcast, Richie Randall. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. I I appreciate you waking up real early in the morning over there uh, to have this conversation with me. (laughs) Well, there's worse things you can do than talk Charlotte Hornets at 6.30 a.m., I guess, um, from my perspective. But yeah, how, how are you, I guess on a general level feeling going into this season? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's iffy because I think that a lot of teams in the East did get better, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to watch the team. I think with the youth that they have and LaMelo Ball, obviously people over in Australia probably love him. I, I would assume uh, and probably have an attachment to him because he played over there in the NBL, but yeah, I, it's kind of like a wait and see approach. I, I can't really get a, definitive answer on whether I'm like you know extra optimistic about this team or not because like I said there's teams in the east that did get better but overall I'm excited to see the young players play and it's one of those things with the Hornets where uh, if, if things don't turn out the way that some fans are expecting it's okay because I think the timeline and just like the development is kind of what they're going for right now yeah and, and on LaMelo I th- I could be just quoting absolutely 
made up numbers here, but I'm pretty sure last season his jersey was selling down here more than Ben Simmons. And so if that tells you all you need to know about, I guess, how much both those players are rated in the Australian market, then then yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely a huge fan base for him down here. Um, from a team perspective, I guess, from the media or your fan base or you know, however you really want to answer this, but obviously going into the season, there's usually one main narrative surrounding the team. So what is that for the Hornets? What's funny, you talk about LaMelo. I think that any story or any narrative that relates to him, I think it's going to be an interesting one to look out for. And it's it's cliche to say that, but I do think it's the development of LaMelo Ball as he heads into the season because last year he was drafted number three overall, but he still had Devontae Graham on the team. And Devontae Graham was the starter heading into the season, and he was coming off a season in which you know, most people probably should have argued that he – should have won the most improved player uh, last or two seasons ago, but he did not get enough recognition for it. So it made sense to kind of slowly work in LaMelo ball, but now all eyes are on him. He's the guy as the Hornets head into the season. Uh, But for me, like he's, there's still a couple of things that I think that he needs to make strides in, in a variety of areas. I think his three point shot will need to be a weapon for him as they, continue to go throughout the season and force the defense to make a decision. Cause I think right now, not that it's easy to defend LaMelo ball by any means, but like if you're playing a pick and roll situation on defense, like I, I think I would go under every single time and force them to pull up for that three, because as teams went over last year on pick and rolls, it forced LaMelo into the paint. And I think that's where he does his best because he forces the defense to collapse and rotate and he can look off defenders with his eyes and find, open three-point shooters, open cutters. So I think that three-point shot will force the defense into a decision. Hey, now he does have a three-point shot. He's more consistent with it. And he he did shoot the ball pretty well prior to his injury. His left, I think his left wrist, right wrist, I can't remember which wrist it was, but that caused him issues at the end of the season. And I, I just think his development overall on the offense, offensive side of the court Clearly, his passing and his playmaking is already there, but just little things like rim finishing. I think I think from the eye test, I thought he did a good job, like in terms of you know applying pressure at the rim and hitting difficult shots. But when I went back and looked at like the pure numbers, he was below average there. So just little things here and there on the offensive side of the court for for Melo. I think individually, that's probably where the national media is going to look. But from like a team perspective, and I kind of talked about this at the top. Like, did the Hornets improve enough as a team? Because, like I mentioned, Chicago got better with uh, Lonzo and DeRozan. Wizards added Dinwiddie and Kuzma and KCP. I think most people are split locally on whether or not the offseason for Charlotte was good enough. And I, I feel like I'm in that boat as well. I just can't lean one way or the other. So that's those those are the biggest storylines. LaMelo's development and then just overall, did Charlotte get better or better enough to, um, you know, outperform what they did last year. I guess on that token, then you're a little bit worried that this could be another season where Charlotte, maybe they improve, but not to the net level of some of the other teams around them. And they're stuck in that kind of, you know, playing scenario, fighting for that plane. And then, you know, another season, I guess, basically the same old stuff, or is that not as much of a worry with, like you said, the youth being the main I guess the key rotation guys this year, so you can kind of handle another season like that. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it feels like the the timeline has been sped up a little bit because LaMelo came in last year and produced so well. Miles Bridges last season, um, he had great jumps and strides with his shooting off the dribble, his playmaking off the dribble. So it, it did speed up a little bit, but there was like a statistic out there that outside of OKC, Charlotte had like the most minutes of players like underneath like 25 years old or something like that. Like a lot of their heavy rotation players are younger guys uh, with Miles Bridges and PJ Washington and LaMelo Ball and uh, Terry Rozier. You know, he's not younger per se, but he's kind of in the middle. So there's there's not a lot of veterans on this team besides uh, Hayward and, and Mason Plumley. So. I think realistically speaking to your point, I, I think they're probably going to end up around the play in range, which, you know, is kind of most, most people think that's not a great place to land, but I don't think that harms them in any way in terms of moving forward. Like they're, they're not going to act in a rash manner and say, Oh gosh, let's just blow it up again. No, I, I think they're still going to take the the patient approach and whatever happens happens. Like, you know, they, they can maybe reach a higher end, like, and, and avoid the play in altogether and just make the playoffs without having to go that route. But also too, to your point, like if they, if they end up in that range, I, I don't think it has any effect on them moving forward. Yeah. And I guess when you look at a, a younger team, like the Hornets and that play in spot, it, I guess on an, in a vacuum teams fighting for playing would be considered, you know, maybe a little bit of a disappointment, but, with a younger right. team like Charlotte or even someone else like uh, Detroit or Orlando or Cleveland, you know, those teams that are probably going to be around the bottom of the, the conference, if they end up fighting for playing, it's probably, you know, a sign that things are going really well. So I guess the only worry would be that that uh, startles the front office into making a rash move to try and chase something that's probably not really there. But I guess on a transaction level, is there anyone particularly that's going to have like that you've gained or lost that will have the largest impact on the Hornets? That's a tough question because I think a lot of these moves that we saw over the off season felt like lateral moves in the sense that like the, the players that went out versus the players that went in, like it didn't have that big of an effect. Uh, but individually speaking, I think Cody Zeller is going to be a bigger loss than many Hornets fans really want to admit uh, it's also going to be very strange not to see him in a Charlotte Hornets uniform because that's all he's ever been in. I think either they didn't notice it or uh, they weren't looking out for it or they maybe they just were underrating it. But I think a lot of fans don't realize that he provided a lot of the stuff that goes unnoticed, like his screen setting, his ball movement, his gravity as a role man. He's a scrappy player. Obviously, that led to some injuries as well. He got on the offensive boards. So I do think that will have an impact. But because Charlotte brought in Mason Plumley, I think he can replicate a lot of what Zeller can do with his playmaking and rebounding and all that type of stuff. Plus, he's more dependable than Zeller when it comes to health. So even though I think Zeller might be the, the, the biggest player outgoing, uh, I think the net gain or the net loss there is not really uh, of much of anything because you have Mason Plumley coming in. So to answer the question, the one that's going to have the biggest impact, in my view, it feels weird saying this, but I, I almost want to say Malik Monk. I think he has a great combination of playmaking and, and shot creation on the offensive side of the court. And really outside of last season, he was, he's been a really, really good rim finisher. Um, he's going to apply pressure at the rim, finish tough shots. He has the ability also to pull up from three. 
Uh, defensively, he's not great by any means, but he, he's made strides over the course of the season. So when I look at that position, kind of like that combo guard position in the backup range, you know, who's going to replace him in that role? And I think it really boils down to, you know, is James Booknight, the rookie, is he ready enough to come in and help that that spot and boost that second unit? And, yeah, you're going to be relying on a rookie to do that, to fill that role that Malik Monk did have. Even though Malik Monk had his, had his ups and downs throughout his career, I do think that's a spot in Charlotte's roster that feels a little bit light, that backup shooting guard position. But I, I don't think Charlotte had an opportunity to bring back Monk. I mean, we saw he wanted to change the scenery as he kind of yeah. bet on himself with that minimum deal in L.A. Yeah, it's not one because I think Monk's one of those guys where you kind of want a bit more from him. But, um, you know, obviously you generally probably want to keep a player like that. But I guess, he, yeah, once he's decided he's probably going to leave and it's not much you can do. Um, what about Kelly Oubre as an addition as well? Yeah, I mean, I, it's crazy I didn't even mention him. Um, he just went down with an injury in preseason. Uh, we don't know, like, the severity of it by by any means, but... Yeah, he seems like a guy that could revitalize his career in Charlotte. I think what Charlotte was going for in this offseason and a lot of the picks in the draft and a lot of the acquisitions in free agency all kind of revolved around the identity of Charlotte being this team that pushes the pace but also is very unselfish and passes the ball around. And I think where Oubre can fit into that type of role there is as a cutter. I mean, he's a, he's a great cutter. He can score off of cuts. Uh, he's not been one to shoot the ball too well, and that's kind of been um, his MO throughout the course of his career. So I think if you, if you think that Oubre is going to be the biggest like impact acquisition this offseason, you're probably betting on the fact that he just fits perfectly within the system and he kind of uh, benefits from a change of scenery. And I, I think defensively, too, he can be one of the better uh, perimeter defenders for Charlotte, even though that bar is pr- pretty low. Uh, that's they've they've struggled a bit uh, in the past couple of seasons out on the perimeter defending. So yeah, I I, I like the acquisition of Ubre. I think his past like pedigree might not um, give a lot of optimism, but I think what you're you're hoping is that he fits in with Lamelo and he, he fits in as a cutter and he can score easy buckets at the rim and get out in transition because that that seems to be a trend with a lot of the uh, the acquisitions that the Hornets made. Yeah, and I guess as long as he doesn't start the season like he did last year, jump shooting wise, it's probably not going to be, you know, because that was that was next level awful last year. Um, what does the best case scenario season look like then for Charlotte? Yeah, I think if all things go right, and even if other teams have a little bit of like an unlucky stretch, I think Charlotte could finish like sixth overall in the East. Like there's really no over, you know, there's no way that they can overcome, you know, the Nets or the Bucks. but there's a world in which Charlotte can beat out the Celtics, the Pacers, the Bulls, uh, the Knicks, like one of those teams that they can beat out. So like if the top five teams in the East happen to be the Bucks, the Nets, who else, the Hawks, um, maybe the Heat, and then like, like one of the Celtics or 76ers, like that's, that's five right there. Charlotte could finish sixth. Uh, for that to happen, though, I, I didn't really mention this. Like when we were talking about last season, like the health was just such a big issue with Charlotte. Um, well, let me put it this way: the depth, the lack of depth, uh, really showed itself last season with the health, uh, because Gordon Hayward went down, Lamelo went down, 
And you saw that season kind of take a downward trend as they headed into the play-in game. They just got absolutely blasted by the Pacers in that, that play-in uh, opening game. You know, before those injuries happened, Charlotte was fourth in the East, or they were fourth at one point in the East. And once when those two went down, uh, the play the playmaking was just so hard to come by. And I'm not sure how much better they got, you know, in, in terms of the, the grand scheme of things. But depth-wise, you could make the case that they have more depth, you know, top to bottom. And hopefully that helps out. And they, they, they do stay healthy from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I would hope that, you know, Hayward plays, what, 70 games? Like, like that's what you're hoping for. You, you figure he's going to go down for a little bit just because it, it seems to be that way. Uh, I think also for this best case scenario to happen for, for Charlotte, like I mentioned earlier, LaMelo's got to play lights out. Like, I, I don't know if he's going to be an all-star per se, but he's got to be in the conversation. I think Miles Bridges continues uh, to make improvements. Uh, he made tremendous strides in his third season. Uh, Book Knight is the big contributor, like I said. Like, he's he's filling in that monk role. And then one player we haven't talked about yet, who I always call the swing player on this roster is PJ Washington. He's heading into his third season. And I think last year, you know, in my opinion, he was inconsistent and he definitely started off the season. Many would say like out of shape, like he just mentally, physically, he didn't seem to be there. And as the season progressed, he got more consistent and better. But overall, like if you were to look at last season, PJ Washington, I I don't think he was himself. And I, I just don't think, uh, you know, he put together a complete season. So for all, if all those things go correct and, and some of the other teams get unlucky, I, I do see a scenario in which Charlotte can avoid the play in tournament altogether and, and finish sixth overall. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I guess just, just really quickly before I move on, I guess the team's probably better equipped this season to handle an injury to LaMelo or Hayward than it probably was last season, just with the added depth of guys like, you know, Kelly Ubro coming in, Ish Smith as well. Um, I guess on the flip side, then what's a worst case scenario? Yeah, I think with injuries or just like underachievement, this team probably could finish outside the play in altogether. I mean, I, I could probably name 10 teams that uh, could finish ahead of Charlotte, like the five that I just mentioned. Uh, you, you had the Knicks, you had the Bulls, you had the Pacers, you had the Wizards in there who got better, like I mentioned. And that would place Charlotte around the 11th spot overall. I mean, sure, they could drop to the 12th or 13th, but I have a hard time believing that the Magic or the the Cavs or anyone like that jumps Charlotte. But there is a scenario in which Charlotte is just outside the playoffs looking in. And to your point earlier, I don't think this changes the Hornets timeline or direction of the team whatsoever. Like I said, it's already built for the future with the youth on the roster and a lot of their veterans that are on the roster are on, you know, semi cap friendly deals in which um, either there's like non guarantees at the end of them, or they just don't extend out that far. So it's not like they're in a, in a scenario where uh, they've got to get off money like that. So, so I guess best case scenario, sixth worst case scenario, 11th, that's kind of the range that I see Charlotte falling in. And what, you know, I, I don't like using the word underrated because we throw it around so much that underrated becomes overrated just by virtue of repetition. But on that, you know, because the Hornets still have a lot of those younger guys now, the draft picks, the, the rookie scale guys in general, is there anyone in this team that you're most excited for a breakout? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, 
I got one of two players. Uh, and I, I guess, I don't know if he's underrated by any means, but PJ Washington, uh, I kind of mentioned this earlier. He's a guy that has a lot of ability, a lot of capabilities to do a lot of different things. I think he excels in pick and pop situations, stretching the defense. Uh, he shoots the ball fairly well from behind the arc. I think that's always been a part of his game since he entered into the season or in, entered into the uh, NBA. I think his rookie year, uh, his first game of the season, he had like six or seven three-point makes in his uh, opener, which was like a record for Charlotte. But the one area in which he does have room for improvement is at the rim. He has never really shot the ball well there. And for a guy that likes to back down people from time to time, and he just misses bunnies at the rim, it's just, it's very deflating to see that happen. So I think he's a player, like I keep on saying, he's the swing player for the Hornets that if he just follows the mode of Miles Bridges making that jump from year two to year three, like he will, or he can, uh, he would be a guy that I would see like breaking out onto the scene a little bit more. Now I have another like under the radar type of guy that probably not many people outside of Charlotte really know too much about, and that's Jalen McDaniels. And he's also entering his third season. He's a guy that uh, I guess he doesn't, he doesn't need the ball, uh, nor would it be beneficial to like put the ball in his hands all that often. And I think, a lot of what he does, a lot of, you know, a lot of areas in which he excels is all the little stuff. And so that, that's probably why he doesn't get a lot of recognition. Um, he is an impact player on both ends of the court. You know, you got to love his ability to, to cut ball, you know, cut off the ball. Uh, I think, you know, him inside this system of, of, you know, cutting and passing and all that type of stuff, he fits perfectly. He wants to score off of, of like missed shots. Like he's attacking those offensive rebounds trying to get easy buckets. He's a guy that I think or should be able to get like 35, 36, 37 from behind the arc. Defensively, like I mentioned before, Charlotte is not a good defensive team top to bottom, but individually, Jalen McDaniels, he's like the prototypical wing defender, uh, but he also has the ability to kind of defend the point of attack guy too. So if you need to put him on a point guard, that's uh, really good at attacking the paint. He's a guy that can do that. He's just got a good mixture of like strength and finesse and length and all that type of stuff. So you like, you just look at him like body wise, he looks like a, he looks like an NBA player. So I guess PJ Washington is a guy that I probably have more faith in terms of like breaking out to the scene and like, like turning some heads. Jalen McDaniels, I think is going to start to slowly build his name up within Charlotte, like on a local level and start to turn heads and, and get more recognition there. So th those are the two guys that I would say that are a little bit more underrated. PJ Washington's not underrated by any means, but he's a guy that I feel like has a lot of room for improvement. And would you even classify someone like uh, maybe Cody Martin in that second camp? Because I think he's probably a little bit more uh, reputation wise ahead of where McDaniels obviously is, but has he been maybe a little bit too good considering what he came into the league as, or is he a bit limited in what he could break out to be? But I think he's one that could be one to watch as well. Yeah. He's a guy that's very situational in, in terms of what he can do offensively. He really, he just doesn't offer a ton on the offensive side of the court and he just hasn't developed enough to have confidence on the offensive side of the court. At least with McDaniels, he has that impact on both ends of the court. When Cody Martin first came into the to the league, like he was obviously like a, a wing, but 
in summer league, they started to use him on the ball as a point guard, just like as an experiment. And he showed some flashes here and there, but that's, that, that never really translated on the NBA level. Like he can't shoot the ball. Um, he's not that great of a distributor where his impact is, is on the defensive side of the court. And yeah, Charlotte does lack on that end and they need perimeter defenders. And he's a guy that can go out there and get you some steals and disrupt the ball handler. Uh, he can pick up some charges like that's what he's known for as well. But he he doesn't seem like a guy that's ever going to pop offensively and break out, you know, to your question here. So I think what you know what you have with Cody Martin, and he's like solid defensively, and he's pretty much, you know, a, a zero on the offensive end of the court. And I don't see a ton of room for improvement where Jalen McDaniels might not have the name recognition yet, but he definitely has the potential and room for improvement. And you can actually see it. Like you can actually envision that happening with McDaniels. So people in Charlotte aren't like the highest on Cody Martin. Like they love his energy. They love his defense. They love his like scrappiness. But other than that, offensively, like he's just not a factor. And I think with um, the way that Charlotte plays, like he needs to be a little bit better on that end of the court. Is there anyone on this Hornets team that would be in the conversation for one of those individual awards at the end of the season then? I don't, I don't see it. Like when you, when you put this on the script, I'm just trying to run my eyes up and down the roster. To see <laughs> like, you know, six man, no, like yeah, rookie of the year. I don't see book night really in the conversation there. The only thing that I could say is not an individual award, but I, mean, I guess it is like an all-star like Lamella ball, I think could be in the conversation for the all-star point guard position. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not a betting man. And if I was, I wouldn't bet on it, but <laughs> you know, just, just because of his recognition across the league and what he does, he basically, he doesn't average a triple double, but he's, he's getting up there, right? Like he's averaging like 16 points, six rebounds, six assists. Like he, he impacts the game on all different types of levels. And I, I think he's a guy that is going to be in that conversation for the all-star, but in terms of individual awards, I'm sorry, I can't really answer the question just because I, I just can't see one specific guy that would kind of fit that mold. I mean, yeah. do, do, you, do you see anyone? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the only one I can probably think of because, you know, 30 guys seem to, to be the the ones most likely or most weighted towards that most improved. So maybe based on, I guess, his, not disappointment, but inconsistency last season, maybe PJ Washington has that numbers increase that he could be in that most improved conversation. But other than that, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bare plate in terms of award-winning uh, guys on this roster, at least this season. Yeah, I don't think Booknight's going to have the role, minutes, numbers, etc., to beat anyone. You know, like the Cades or the Jalen Greens of the world or the Suggs. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it'd be a left-field bet wherever you're, you're betting it. <laughs> exactly, I would agree with that. So you just said you. <clears throat> Excuse me. You just said you weren't a betting man, but I ask everyone this. I've got the uh, NBC, uh, NBC lines up in front of me, and Charlotte is listed at thirty-six and a half wins for the season. So, would you take over or under on that figure? I would actually go over, uh, not by much, maybe like thirty-nine, forty-one. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a lot on a on a Vegas scale. I'm not really sure, but uh, you said thirty-six and a half. Yeah, I would take over, maybe like forty and forty-two. That that's that's my projection for the Hornets. And I guess to wrap up, do you have a prediction of, you know, you can give us safe if you really want to, but, you know, a, a prediction of a various hate level, you know, have you got a bold prediction for the season? Bold prediction. Um, I'll say this. Um, 
LaMelo Ball will increase his average closer to that triple-double line. I can't go out on a limb and say triple-double. So (laughs) instead of averaging 15 points, he'll be averaging 18 points for the season. Instead of averaging six assists from last season, he'll be averaging, let's say, eight assists. And instead of averaging six rebounds, he's averaging seven rebounds. So, like, I'm not – I am very conservative when it comes to, like, betting and stuff like that. So you asking me, like, a bold prediction for this Hornets team individually or team-based, like, I – it's hard for me to go out on the limb. So it's it's kind of like what I said earlier. Like they have a range in which they could finish sixth in the East. Uh, I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, you know, they also could probably drop down to like 11th or 10th in the East. But to be honest with you, like if, if I was just taking the safe, you know, bet, I'd say they finish seventh overall in the East. Hey, no, no, eighth, eighth, seventh or eighth, kind of in that like, those first two spots for the plan. So I think that's a a realistic expectation for the Hornets. Not fair enough. Uh, have you got anything to, to promote before we let you go? Yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't write, but uh, me and my three co-hosts we host a uh, Charlotte Hornets podcast called Buzz Beat. We release at least once a week. Uh, but other than that, uh, just check us out. We uh, for the most part talk Hornets, but we'll get some NBA talk in, and then when the uh, the draft comes around. We have a couple of guys on our podcast that really love talking about the draft. I'm not one of them, but they get into it. So uh, they are big into the draft. They're big into ACC uh, basketball, which is uh, Atlantic uh, Coast Conference, which is just like, you know, in North Carolina, like college basketball reigns. Yes, like that. I can imagine. Okay. I didn't know if you knew that. Over there, <laughs> but like, so NBA like is big, but college basketball in the South, especially in North Carolina, like that, that just takes over, takes precedence. So I think a lot of people like listening to us for the draft coverage because everyone in North Carolina loves college basketball. Are you, are you due to go to North Carolina? See, I'm neither. My wife is North Carolina, uh, but I've always been like an anti-North Carolina. <laughs> um, I've not been like a pro Duke per se, but just the people that I've interacted with in my childhood and in my schooling like it just feels like some of the North Carolina fans are a little bit like unrealistic with their expectations it just kind of rubs me the wrong way (laughs) my wife hates it but I kind of root against North Carolina I hate to say (laughs) that's all good uh well thank you for coming on to the show and uh, good luck for this season with the Hornets all right I appreciate it Hey guys, Ben here. Just before we get into the Miami Heat section just wanted to apologize in advance for the quality of the call between myself and Giancarlo um yeah it just kept dropping in and out so i apologize in advance there wasn't really anything i could do about that so yeah hopefully it's not too bad on your end robinson back to van with four on the shot clock gotta go with duncan come on how about that for his first score of tonight's game on the screen assist this is a screen assist definition right here dribble handoff boom all right, joining us now on Beyond the Fences NBA season preview to talk all things Miami Heat from the Miami Heat beat himself, Giancarlo Navas. How are you? Good morning. Well, I guess good evening for you. Good morning for me. I'm ready to go. I did, uh, I did the lamest thing on earth last night, which was fist bump a Max Drews bucket in preseason. I've it, I've never felt lamer. Um, I tweeted that out last night. It was, uh, it was I felt like a fan. Yeah, well, you say it's technically good morning for me as well because it's after midnight, so... So there we go. See, we're we moving, we're grooving. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I, I get that preseason hype because you know it's it's been so long. You just want something to cling to. I've never been this way though, because like normally, like I'm pretty. I look at sports pretty pragmatically, and you know, I've been doing uh, Hebe for almost ten years now. So, like, you know, once, once you're doing this long enough, you know, you start to realize, well, like, you know, they're playing a preseason game on the second night of a back-to-back. Like, none of this matters, right? And uh, you know, they they have a team that kind of inspires us to feel a certain way, you know. So it, it's become there's a level of fun around this team that I haven't seen since maybe the 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 2016 year where uh, where Dwayne, Luol Dang, Bosch, you know, that that group. Uh, or was a three seed. So it's been a minute since people have like felt this way, like coming into a season. What about that season where you started 11 and 30 and then finished 30 and 11? Oh man, that season. Cause like, I don't think anybody expected us to be like good that season, but the, the 30 and 11 run is still really divisive because that really spawned the birth of like the James John, the Dion waiters, the Kelly Olenek contracts right, that <laughs> nobody liked. So it was like at the time, you know, the Dion memes, you know, the, I mean, they, they kicked everybody's ass. They, they beat the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like Dion pulled up from the logo to beat the Warriors. So like, yeah. time, we were like, what is going on? And then, you know, it, it, it it's kind of like when you, you know, you know, Miami, obviously like cocaine capital of the world. It's like, you know, you take a bad drug and you're really, really high. And then the crash just fucking sucks. <laughs> I allowed to curse. I'm sorry. I should have asked that. Oh, it's, it's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, no, I, I forget, you know. This is this is Australia. You can go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, listen. Oh, dear. Well, on that note, <laughs> great one. Yeah, I mean, I've, I was going to ask how you, how you were feeling for the season, but yeah, like you've said, you know, one of the more exciting lead-ins to a season, probably for the Miami Heat in, you know, five, six, seven years. Oh, easily. Because like when, when, when they got Jimmy the first year, you know, I know that like it was kind of the families was kind of divided because like, you know, I think everybody knew that they weren't like good enough, which is kind of funny because they actually made the finals that year, right? So, but like going into the season, I think everyone's like, okay, like they're gonna they're gonna be good, right? They're gonna contend for a home playoff seed, and you know they they have some pieces here, you know, but we don't know how this is gonna look. So none of us expected, okay, like they're playing for a title this season. It was more. Hey, they're playing to be good so that they, when they have cap space in 2021, they can really. And that was really the thinking. And I even think in the organization, Ben, I, I think that that was just a prevailing thought because they had, you know, the, the, the Heat, the way they've done it is they always play, they always plan for these big years, right? So it's like 2010, I think it was 20, 20, uh, 2018, the Gordon Hayward free agency year, or 2017, I don't remember the exact year, but yeah. you know, they, they have these plans where they have like a ton of cap space and flexibility. And then they're like, okay, these these are the guys that we're going to try to get and we're going to try to build something. And then after, after LeBron, you know, it's, it's largely, you know, yielded no, no, no fruit. But, you know, the, the Jimmy thing happened, but you know, nobody really felt that that was enough. And again, yeah. funny enough, they made the finals that year. And this <laughs> year feels different. It felt, it feels different going in. What's the main narrative, I guess, then that's swirling around the team going into the season? Um, I think that a lot of like people in the organization and in the, because last season, you know, and I, I think it was Zach Lowe of ESPN, or I forgot who was the one that pushed this out that other executives and other like, you know, team employees were like, oh, well, well Miami did in the bubble. Like, that, that's not, that's fake, right? Like, that's not, that's not real. And that, that remember, that didn't come from fans. That narrative came from team executives. Yeah. 
that to the media and then that became a narrative. And the team is obviously like, well, that's bullshit. No, what, what, what is fake about what we did? And if you look at their bubble, you could be like, well, what's fake about that? Because Tyler pretty much did what he did in the regular season. Those numbers stayed pretty consistent. He had a huge game against them. But for the most part, I mean, Tyler was awful against the Lakers, right? So, like, if you really look at the numbers, right, and, and if you really go back and watch, Duncan and Tyler did what they did in the regular season, like, pretty consistently. And Goran is a real one that stepped up, right? Goran really bumped up his scoring. But nobody else really did anything that you're just like, wow, that looks totally unsustainable. Maybe the Jay Crowder shooting a little bit, but Jay was really shooting all the whole season yeah. for the heat to the point that I was even like, people were mad at me on my podcast because I was like, well, this is going to crash because this guy sucks <laughs> at shooting, right? So, and, and it did at the worst possible time. Yeah. He couldn't, I mean, really against the Celtics, he couldn't, he, he couldn't hit a shot. I mean, he went crazy against the Bucks. Um, so that was the narrative last season. And then I think a lot of this season is dispelling that because, you know, they still, it still hasn't been a year since the NBA finals that they played in. Like it hasn't been a calendar year. So they've played an NBA finals, a whole last season, an Olympics for some of these dudes for BAM. Yep. And I think Duncan practice with the, the select team at, at yeah. some point. And now they're playing preseason. So these guys are, are still not 100% rested, but they're more rested than their run. The Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, and the, and the Nuggets all underperformed. Obviously, Denver had, you know, their injury stuff. But for the most part, the teams that went deep through the bubble didn't well. So I think it's a really long-winded answer to your question is dispelling, I think for Miami, it's dispelling this thing of, like, what we did was fake and we have legitimate championship equity. And I guess that kind of flows nicely into the next question because I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a pretty obvious answer for this one. And it's, you know, a transaction that's going to impact the team the most this season. And I, I guess it's obviously going to be Kyle Lowry, right? Oh, like it's like he makes everything make sense for them, right? So last season, you're like, well, what, what is going wrong? Because their season was just bad, right? And, and, and you're like, well, what was bad about it? And to me, first, Jimmy Butler was on the floor. Miami was plus seven uh, per 100 possessions. This is good, right? And the year prior to that, when they made the finals, it was the same thing. They were plus seven per 100 possessions when Jimmy Butler was on the floor. The thing that changed was Jimmy sat the year that they made the finals. The Heat were like plus zero or like minus 0.1. They were breaking even in the non-Jimmy minutes. And last season, they were like minus six or minus seven per 100 possessions. So they were getting absolutely slaughtered when Jimmy went to the bench. And that makes a bad recipe because now you put everything on this one, dude. And the Jimmy minutes just together weren't good. The Olenek Jimmy minutes were like the best on the team, which was really funny. I tweeted this out at one point that Jimmy Olenek in like not an insignificant amount of minutes, like in a lot of minutes, uh, like, a, like a huge sample, had the same point differential as LeBron in 80 uh, when, you know, <laughs> before LeBron got hurt. So like that was just, I mean, because, you know, Jimmy with the floor space was like really good. Um so what Kyle adds is when Jimmy sits, they have a legitimate ball hand. They have a legitimate downhill threat. He did not get to the rim outside of Butler. Dragic was just not not there, you know, athletically and, and kind of as a guy to get to the rim. So you add a guy who can run offense, who can ball handle, who could take a little bit of that responsibility off Jimmy so he doesn't run himself into the ground. 
because in that Buck series, he just looked cooked. He, he was tired, man. Like, that's just, you don't get outscored by Bryn Forbes. In the playoffs. <laughs> I was waiting for the Bryn like, Forbes reference. Yep. <laughs> bro, like, Buck fans, like, want to talk, like, their shit. And, like, honestly, they've earned it. Right? Like, as a Heat fan, we've talked so much shit. So, like, I understand that. But, like, you know, once we get to, like, actual basketball stuff, like, you got to be like, dude, he looked tired, right? Like, he was not getting to the pull-up. He had no lift. Like, you know, we, we can, like, have fun, but we can also, like, that guy, everything fell on him. So Lowry adds a dude that could take some of that responsibility off that they won't get destroyed when he goes to the bench. Cause that was the other thing is minute load toward the end of the season really, really bumped up. Cause they were just like, we need, we need to win games, right? We're, we're yeah. to do or die. They didn't have anybody at the point of attack for defense, right? So it was Dragic, it was hero and it was none. And they just die on screens. Like this, 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 no, so it makes Miami have to over switch. So bam is always out on guards. Because they have no choice, right? So when they do a one-five pick and roll, you know they don't want you know Tyler Trey Young is a good example. Game one of the and I tweeted a little video about this. You know, if they run a if they run a, a Collins uh, Trey Young pick and roll, Miami has to switch that because they don't want Tyler or Dragic on an island or none. Who can pull up? Who can get to the rim? Because their defense gets compromised. Because now Jimmy is either at the nail or Jimmy's on the weak side, and Jimmy has to dig recover. And again, you're just really you're putting a lot of strain on him and Bam is on the perimeter. And now your offensive rebound, your your defensive rebounds compromised because now your now your guards are on the back line and the bigs are ceiling. So Miami's played a little more drop, right? Because Kyle can stay in front of his guy. He can really play across screen. They don't have to switch that so often. They're still switching like guard guard actions, which I think is good. And, and Kyle can guard up too. But uh, so to me, those are the two biggest things. Oh, and bro, Kyle pushes pace a little bit. Like not, he's not like, you know, a super fast guy, but you know, Miami would start their first action with like 14 on the shot clock. Right. So, you know, when you, when you run your dribble handoff, cause that's all they did. Cause they had no downhill threat with 14 on the clock. If a team switches that, or if they, if they send two at a man, or if they blow up that action, well, now you don't have another crack at the apple, right? Cause now you're at five, right. And now you got to just get a clean look. Yep. Kyle is really getting them going at like 18 19 17 so if somebody does blow up an action or they do send help and they got to swing the ball two three times they have enough time to run a second action so that they can get a good shot up and i think those three things in, in particular i guess those four things with the with the jimmy stuff are, are really like the pegs of everything that's going to matter this season for them yeah and you mentioned the defense stuff as well and i'm i guess pj tucker were you surprised that you know, that you were able to get him away from Milwaukee and he's obviously going to fill a really important role. I, I was, you know, like he was on my list. Like it was like, he'd leave, right? Like who, what, what, like a guy like him, like how many of those guys like ever leave that, that kind of situation? And it's a good, you know, stand in the corner, bud system. It makes some ton of sense for him. Um, But, you know, obviously you take him away from one of the biggest competitions, right? And that's a dude that, you know, in the playoffs, they had him guard hero a, a ton. And I thought that was interesting for a couple of reasons. And in the beginning, I kind of made fun of it. I was like, you're going to make this old ass guy chase Tyler around. Makes it easy to switch handoffs, right? So they could put, if they if Giannis is on Bam and Tucker is on hero, right? And if they're running those little those little Bam hero DHOs, which they love so much, that's, a, that's an easy switch. And you're okay with Tucker on Bam, especially because Bam at the time wasn't like, you know, it's not like Garnett or anything. Not gonna, not gonna use the size to shoot over PJ pretty consistently. So, you know, it, it really hurt them in a lot of ways. So you, you take that away from them, and you get a guy to start. I mean, he's their starting four. Now I'm not 
totally comfortable with that. You know, he has, I mean, he already got hurt in the season. That's all to ask. Their, their depth at the four is like, honestly, the, the biggest concern of mine because right now Markeith Morris is their backup power forward. And I just, I'm very out on him. Not a good shooter. And then playing him and Deadman together. Deadman's been fantastic, by the way. Deadman has been like one of like low-key best pickups. Uh, I mean, he's just been incredible for them. But they can't play him and, and Morris together. There's just like they can't and doesn't shoot w- with the consistency to make that work. And and same with Keith. So, you know, you have these really cloggy lineups and you're asking Tyler to make like a lot out of nothing. And if PJ gets hurt, well, now you're slotting Morris into the starting five. Now you have Jay Morris, bam, and that's a lot of non-shooting. Kyle's not, you know, this marksman, right? Kyle's going to shoot well enough to make your your sets and offense work, but he's not, you know, he's not a, a Curry or, or a Trey Young or a, a Dame type that's going to really, you know, just create space on his own. So I worry a little bit about that. Uh, but I think PJ's huge for them. He has to stay healthy. He's a 16-game guy during the grind of the regular season. I, I don't think that they should count on him for a ton, but, you know, I think that when, when a rubber hits the road and they got hard, you know, the, 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 the KDs, the Giannis, right, all, all those bigger wings, that's that's when it's going to matter. Yeah. Um, what's the best-case scenario look like for the Miami Heat then this season? See, I tweeted this out yesterday the day before. I said, now, listen, I was lost in the sauce, man. Let me tell you, game two of preseason, I'm not like this. I'm the guy who's not, I'm the guy who's always low on Miami. I'm the guy who gets accused on my own podcast of not liking the heat, right? I'm the guy that always gets, I get lobbed, you know, people hurl shit at me all the time, call me names on Twitter, because they actually, I don't like the heat enough. I said, Peter Tyler Good, feels that way, man. Best. It feels that way. I think that they can. I think they can get to the finals. I think they can win a title. And again, it sounds crazy. It's game. Well, now it's game three of preseason. Undefeated, by the way. <laughs> Undefeated. Um, but they have seemed to address their biggest problems. I did say they were a wing short. You know, I, I do think that they need to make a move, whether it be a, a trade uh, for the deadline, or um, or get by the bottom, which is why they kept an extra roster spot open. Uh, it makes a ton of sense for them to do that, especially because, you know, unfortunately, you know, Udonis has a legend lifer can have a contract whenever he wants. Uh, it's just not, it, it, it's really, they're playing with a, they're, they're playing down a, a roster spot all the time. And then another COVID season with dudes like PJ and Jimmy and Kyle and Bam that are going to miss time because Bam has a, Bam has a, a knee thing. I think it's degenerative too. So, you know, you, you don't want to run him into the ground either. Um, you're gonna you're gonna need a little help, and that their wing depth at the four is just really really light. So I do think they're title good. I think that they have all the makings of a team. They can defend. They have a bunch. They can throw lineups out there, Ben, where they can switch everything, or they can play like a monster drop, right? So like eventually, when when Oladipo gets healthy, you know you could put like Kyle Oladipo, Jimmy, PJ, Bam. That's that's death on defense. Like, you got the Nets that way. Right, you you know Oladipo. Even last year was a really good defender for Miami. You could put Oladipo on Kyrie, and you could put Kyle on Harden, and you could put you know PJ or or Jimmy on KD, and, and like you don't feel bad about that. You know what I mean? Or yeah. you could put Jimmy on like they have, and they could switch a bunch of stuff. So if like Brooklyn's a bunch of like ball teams, you know, if Jimmy gets switched onto KD, or if Jimmy gets switched onto Harden, and Kyle gets switched onto like you don't feel bad about that. You know what I mean? So they have the tools 
to do really, really amazing things right for them. And I know oftentimes in the NBA, things don't break right for you. Like, I totally understand that. But, it, you know, I'll never forget the Warriors when they won their first title. That preseason, people in that market, again, it, it's stupid because it's preseason. But when people watch in that market, they're like, wait, whoa, whoa. We, this, there's something special here. Like, this is not, this, this is different. The way that they play, there is a force and a purposefulness to the way that they play. And it feels different. It feels different, Ben. I don't know how to say, but I, I do <laughs> think they're good enough. I hate to, oh, look, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to hate to cut this energy now, but I guess we'll have to ask the other side of that coin then as a worst case scenario. Oh, I mean, worst case scenario is they have a, 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 a shit ton of injuries, right? They're shooting, their offense is the thing that I think is, is the most likely to go sideways. Their offense was bad last year. They don't have enough shooting, right? You really depend on, on Duncan. If Tyler, Tyler's been, Tyler Hero has been fantastic in the preseason. If that just doesn't hold up, if, I mean, he has, he's added the step back to the bag. You know, the pull-up mid-range was there last season. It was really, really good, actually. So, but he has a step back now. He's added the floater, right? So, but like, that's not real. Like if that's just bad, and if those bench lineups just with the bad spacing, he's just bad in them. And if Kyle misses a lot of time with his annual hand injury, and, and if and if Jimmy, you know, Jimmy had his best career season last last year, right? He was fantastic. If Jimmy takes a step back, the jumper really never comes back for him. You know, if, if Bam has some knee problems, if PJ misses a ton of time, they don't really get anybody in the market. You know, you could be looking at a five or, or a six seed. Worst case scenario, I think that they'll win enough games because they just have a lot of talent. But you know, now you're looking down the barrel of you know a first round you know matchup with with Brooklyn or Milwaukee, right? And and you're kind of entering the playoffs banged up. You know, it, it could that could be it. They could be fighting for the for a playing spot. You know, depending. So, I mean, it, it could get bad. It could, let me tell you, it could go sideways really really fast. You know, but you could say that about the Lakers last year, right? Like the yeah. Lakers, you know, came in as favorites, and you know, you know, you have a couple. Couple, couple of the wrong guys get hurt, and all of a sudden you're staring down the barrel of, of not making the play in the Western Conference. So, yeah, yeah, bad luck in the NBA has a habit of snowballing, doesn't it? Oh my God, when it rains, it pours, man. Let me tell you, when the when the Bosch stuff happened with the blood clots, it just, and then it happened again the year after. In both years, you know, you're really late. They had traded for Dragic, right? So they they had traded for Dragic at the deadline, and they had a really rough season. But then you're like, oh my God, that was when Dragic was like. I think he was coming off an All-NBA season or All-NBA third year. And you're just like, they just got an All-NBA point guard. They have, you know, Wade, Bosch, and a freaking point guard who could shoot the ball, who could push pace. Cause that was, that was zippy Dragic, right? That was, that was quick Phoenix fast Dragic. And, uh, and then literally the day after, you know, it was, I think it was uh, Shams who reported that Bosch or Irvison Reynolds yeah. was the eighth. I don't remember who it was, but um, yeah, he, he was in the hospital with pulmonary embolism. Right, let's not forget. So it wasn't just blood clots; it was pulmonary embolism. That that he almost died. Right, we almost lost him. Comes back the next season, looks great. Um, as we said on he Twitter, he was playing so well. He was possessed by the spirit of Joe Naismith, <laughs> and um, and then he, it happened again around the same time too. It was like post like a couple couple weeks post All Star break. So and that was a year that they and they were just starting to figure out you know the, to play the two big lineups with him and Hassan. So listen, we're all too familiar here in Miami with how bad it can get. Obviously, the the Alonzo Morning kidney stuff, you know. So we're we're familiar. <laughs> his rib in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, played uh, set out a game and then played game played game uh, seven with a broken rib. I'll never forget what a legend they lost to the Pistons. Yeah, it's good they won the title next year, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're we're familiar. 
I've got an answer for this one. I think I've got an answer for this one, but you're obviously better placed to answer than I do. But I guess a guy that you're looking for a breakout season for, who do you think that is? A defined breakout season. Like you mean like a career year or like just a dude that people don't think is going to be good and is going to be good. You can give me, but however you want to answer the question. It's, it's like heroes. You. Heroes is the easy one, right? Cause like, he's just, he like straight up kind of suck last year. You know <laughs> I'm like the biggest, like I'm not a Tyler guy. I like yeah. really wanted to trade him. I've, I've never been a Tyler guy to the point that like, I really had to eat it when he like was good his rookie year. Um, we very famously called him alligator arms on draft. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a negative. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's obvious, he's the obvious answer, right? Like bounce yeah. back here. But I mean, I do think that like, you know, he, people think he's good, right? Like, I think that maybe like NBA Twitter, like gets like a little caught Like he's like, obviously like not a bad player, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I was going to get at. Um, I guess from a, a general consensus that he was probably too good his rookie year, at least from a casual perspective that he, it wouldn't count as a breakout. It, it would count as a bounce back. And I guess, you know, you can quibble over terminology, but it's one or the other. Yeah, like his shooting, he, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up the numbers. He's like, damn, you're 40%, you know, as a shooter, uh, his rookie year on volume. Yeah, he was 39% on five. As a rookie on three, that's good, man. It was four, 14 points a game. Like, <laughs> damn, he, and he averaged 15 last year. Uh, you know, and the shooting went down, uh, but the percentage overall field goal, he was almost 50% from two last season. Yeah, that's really good. Like, that, that's good. Like, the, even last season, you know, the free throws, you know, up above 80%, you know? So, I mean, I think that, you know, maybe statistically it might not look so much. Like I think he'll probably average around 15 a game, but the yep. percentages are all going to look better and it's just going to look a little, a little better. So he's the obvious answer. Um, you know, they have, my man has a Garrett kid. I don't really know how much he'll play, you know, for them. He's a monster defensively though. I mean, they really like what he does. Spo has raved about him. But I just don't think that a lot of these young guys are going to get the get the run. Gabe Vincent's a dude I would watch for just because they don't have a real backup point guard, right? Like, because they've tried to peg Tyler. They tried that last year with Tyler, and he's just, he's an off ball guard, right? And I think that everybody, you know, and it's fine. Like, you know, Devin Booker went through the same thing. He got a lot of reps on ball at point guard. Dwayne Wade, the same. Dwayne Wade, season right here. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think it's good because it gives guys a court vision and an awareness, right? But it's just not their position. So it, the experience is good, but it's just that's not something that, you know, when you're trying to win games, you don't want to put Tyler in that anymore. Last season was a little different, especially with, with COVID, right? So it was like a lot of, all right, Tyler, here's the ball. You know, go do stuff. <laughs> um, Gabe is going to be their de facto backup point guard. Now, I do think they're going to stagger a lot of the lineup. So like if Kyle sits and Gabe is in, it's going to be like Jimmy, Gabe, you know, plus, you know, maybe Bam or, or Deadman or like, they're going to, they're going to really try to help him. But I mean, he's a dude that, you know, played really well in Nigeria. I think a lot of people look at him like, mm, I don't know about that chief. And you'd probably be right. But I think on defense, you know, he's competed always. I mean, the, the defense is not what you're worried about with him. And too good shooter to have such a bad year last year. Yeah. He's a, he could shoot. So last year I felt was a little anomalous. I think if the shot quality gets a little better. So he's a dude that I think could sneaky. Yeah. And he's not going to like blow you away. Like he'll be a sneaky player for them. And people might be like, Hmm, Gabe Vincent, when he becomes a free agent, I might throw, you know, a mini, a mini MLE, or I might throw part of my MLE at that. Cause you know, he's a, he's a pretty solid back guard. So I think, and that's like, you know, he's part of the formula, you know, that he's like one of their win conditions. Yeah. Uh, if he has a good season, you know, I think that bodes really, really well for them. 
Yeah, the, the player I was thinking of actually maybe flying a little bit under the radar coming to the season because he had such a limited role last year was Casey Opala. Bro, I'm so done. I can't like we we were like the KZ bandwagon. We started that shit. He, you know, P fans don't realize that the reason why there's KZ hype was because of us. Because we started, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Oh, this KZ guy's probably good, right?" And we're like, "Yeah." I, I, listen, you know, the, the guy puts on the clown mask and like adjusts it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's our podcast. Um, Team Nigeria. When the first game, when the first round of preseason games came on, Team Nigeria had a tweet where it congratulated all its members for, for the NBA. They left out KZ. I should tell you, I should tell you all you need to know. These people, the Nigeria, Nigeria social media manager, just like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't ride with, I don't ride with KZ that way. <laughs> Nigeria's Twitter account during the Olympics was some elite oh. level. It was just it's so, yeah. it was so jarring. It was just so next level. It was, it was great. They deserve the medal. I mean, yeah, I don't. I, we got our first medal. I don't care about other countries. Oh, let's go. Social media. Uh, yeah. Oh, in the social media Olympics, the, the, Ni- the Nigeria social media team was so good in the Olympics that they, they deserved. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. They probably could have uh, played better than the team as well. <laughs> um, if a player on the Heat is going to win one of those individual awards, then who do you think it is? I. I hate to say this, but it's probably like Tyler and Six Man, right? Because like the the Jimmy Jimmy had like a legit like so like the really fancy advanced stats like the like the LeBron and Raptor, right? Like those love Jimmy, right? Jimmy and yep. last year it was a hashtag Jim VP, right? And there was a period of time where Jimmy was like averaging a triple double for like a, a, a good a damn good month when he came back from his COVID um, absence. So I don't really I don't really know that Jimmy's gonna be able to get on that conversation because you know Giannis is gonna be in the mix in the East. You know, um, an MVP is a hard man. Dwayne Wade never won an MVP. I think it's unreasonable to expect that uh, out of Jimmy or Bam. I think what you're really talking about is like one of them, either Jimmy or Bam can win a depoy and Tyler can win a six man. I think Tyler is the most likely, like if they're a really good regular season team, like if they're like two or three in the East and Tyler's averaging last the game, he averaged 15 last year. Yep. I think we're talking like they can, like he can really get in that conversation. Um, but I, I kind of think six nine of the year is like kind of a stupid award, but I think, I think we're looking at like Tyler. I, man, let me tell you, I think Jimmy and Bam can win a depoy. I don't know. I, I think it's like clocks ticking on Jimmy to do it. I thought Jimmy absolutely like deserved, you know, at least a third, like at least last like Jimmy I've compared him. Do you remember that Kawhi season when nobody could dribble around Kawhi? Yeah. I felt that way about Jimmy, except with passes. Like you couldn't throw a pass near him because he was just like a freaking piranha. Yeah. Hand deflections. Like he was a, I mean, his work at the nail, and I, I sound like a broken record, was just like some of the most mind blowing shit you've ever seen. And a lot of the, and they had like a lot of bad defenders on the floor, right? It was like Bam, Jimmy, and then a bunch of bozos. Uh, and they like really got, they are a top 10 defense last season. That is like, our, the human spirit that those two dudes propped up Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, all these dudes that suck at defense into a top 10 uh, caliber. Right? So, and the playoffs the year before that too. So I think one of them has a chance for, for a depoy. I don't think Jimmy will get the love that Bam will get because Bam's like the sexy pick, right? Because yep. he does like the big man stuff and it's easier for a big to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, probably Tyler has the best chance and then followed by Bam at depoy. Yeah, I think 
you should get votes just purely for making Duncan Robinson look like a semi-competent NBA defender. He's not bad though. I'm gonna say something. He's not great. Like I'm not gonna like. There's some people on Heat Twitter that like want to pretend like Duncan's like a good defender. Like I'm not there. Like <laughs> he's not. He's certainly not an issue. Like you can hide him, and you you know he does get attacked a lot. But that's just like, especially like in the starting lineup, because like, what are you gonna go at PJ? You're gonna go at Jimmy? You're gonna go at Kyle? You're gonna go at Man? Right? Like, he's he's obviously the soft spot of the defense, but he competes. I think he he's learned how to use his size. He has great positional like awareness. He does take a lot of charges. I think he does stay in front of the issue with him is he doesn't have strength and he'll never have strength because like you don't want him to like sacrifice the shooting to bulk up and get stronger. I don't think he's a problem. I like I like really don't like if he's your worst defender in the lineup, I think you're fine. Like I think he's like kind of reminds me of, of Dirk, in which people like made Dirk just seem like a turnstile. Or like Jokic, when like they're really just average, right? They're just like average, but you know, there's obviously such a huge spotlight on them, and it tends to do with Joey uh, White-looking NBA players that are good at offense that would just say, "Okay, well, you're bad at defense." <laughs> yeah, it's like a. I feel like that's a thing that we do, which is like most of the time warranted. I'm not gonna lie, but like in oh. those cases. Well, I mean, I've spent the last few years watching Luke Kennard and Seymour Hyluk, and they definitely went off good at defense, <laughs> and they, they they fit that trope perfectly. <laughs> Um, the, the final thing, I guess, then I look at, I've got this list of all the, uh, the NBA win lines and it's got Miami set at 48 and a half right now. Are you over or under on that? I think based on your optimism, you have to go over, right? No, you know, it's funny. I probably go under, <laughs> I probably go under because I, and I like, I, I this is a, a, a Zach Lowism that I'm stealing, but like Miami, I think has the third most championship equity. I just think the regular season is going to be a grind for them just because they have so many dudes that are going to be yeah, like like it's just Jimmy's gonna miss time. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't I think he's played over like seventy games like once or twice in the last like six years. Yeah. So Jimmy's gonna miss time. Kyle, as I've said, you know, it's he has his annual hand injury, so Kyle missed time, and then that's a lot of that's a lot of Gabe Vincent as your starting point guard minutes. You know what I mean? Like you have Bam who has you know the knee issue that it's not talked about a ton, but like that was concerning because that's not. It was degenerative, and that concerns me. And I do think they're going to have to rest him, especially because he, he had a, another short offseason, played in the Olympics. Uh, and they're just – their depth stinks. Like, that's the thing with this team. And, like, whenever I say, like, they're good, everyone's like, their depth stinks. So I was like, yeah, their depth does stink. But in the playoffs, that doesn't matter because you just got to play eight guys. The Raptors played seven guys that won a title. Raptors played seven dudes that won a title. And yep. at one playoff series, one of those dudes, Fred Van Vliet, against the Sixers was total ass. <laughs> he was he was so bad. I'm like half a Raptors fan, so like I, I like I was like, oh, Kyle Lowry's my favorite player. Um, he was like damn near unplayable, right? So you know, I see I've seen a team win a title with like you know seven to six competent guys. Yeah. Um, you know, Freddie, but you know, the regular season, the depth does matter. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the East is good. Like, you know, like a team like New York. Like, right, Miami has more championship equity than New York, but New York might have a better regular season. Same with the Celtics, right? Celtics are just really deep. Celtics can, like, the Celtics can put a bunch of lineups without one bad NBA player, which yeah. is, like, crazy. But, you know, the, at the top end, I think, you know, you kind of give it to Miami. They have more tools to problem solve matchups and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I think that's a really fair line. I think if I were to set a line, I'd do the same. Uh, and I think that that's about the game total that they're going to win. Mm-hmm. If they win 50 games... Throw a party, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned. I, I think yeah, if it's going to be anything with this Miami team, it's going to be that load management. And Jimmy only played 
He's only played more than 60 games once in the last four seasons. And that was the year he got traded from Minnesota to Philadelphia. But then, yeah, he's been around that 50 to 55 mark. He's only actually played over 70 once since his sophomore year. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. He's, he's going to, he's going to miss time. Yeah. Like you said, at, at the ages that the main guys are at as well, they're just going to, they're not like those guys that are not going to be load managed. Like it's just, it's inbuilt, you know, just Larry. avoid the bucks and the nets in the first round. And then you go from there. You're going to have to beat those teams anyway. Hopefully you can avoid both. You can only, I think ideally you only want to play your play. And listen, maybe the nets aren't so scary. If, if, if this Kyrie thing doesn't work out for them, right. If he doesn't, if he like, yeah. doesn't want to take the vaccine for whatever reason, and, and they're down a dude at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't hate that. And then, you know, <laughs> that, that's complicated. If a dude's in the lineup for two games and then two games, not that really fucks with your, that, that fucks with your, your continuity that, that like, that's, you know what I mean? So, you know, there's way, you know, there are things that could go Miami's way um, that I like. Yeah. And I, and I would ask for a bold prediction, but I think we've pretty much covered that already. Uh, that, oh, that their title good? Yeah, I mean, it's that that bad. I got I got lit up on on Twitter. Um, I do think that I mean maybe 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 this. I, I think Bam's gonna be like second team All NBA. Oh, okay. I I think that Bam is really with, with I mean, by the way, this is the best role man Kyle's ever played with, or at least the best role man he's ever played with since since he got like became like a really good basketball player. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in Toronto, they like they always had these dudes that either didn't have hands or were like afraid to go to the basket. You know, Ibaka at that time was just like not really the threat like always was. You know, Pascal is not that guy. You know, Boucher, you know, they, they just, they've really had a bunch of centers without hands, right? Like that's always been, you know, Valanchunas. Aaron you know Baines I mean? like, lost you. Aaron Baines, God. I listen, I, I know that. I, I like Baines. I felt bad, man. He, <laughs> uh, where is he now? I don't even know. I don't even know where he is. Yeah, I felt. That's bad for me. It's bad for me. It's not bad for yeah, you. I, I thought you would know. <laughs> he's still in the league, right? He, he's, la- uh, he's last played for the Raptors, so he's unsigned. No way. Was it that man? Poor Aaron Baines. Man, yeah. poor Aaron Baines fan account. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Baines fan club, rest in peace. They're they're really for content. Yeah, I think I think the Baines situation was and not to turn into an Aaron Baines preview, but yeah, I think <laughs> the, the situation I think he's even said, yeah, it just didn't work. Because he had a pretty good year in Phoenix, and then he went to the Raptors, probably expecting to leverage that, and then it just yeah, it wasn't. I it. really wanted him. Like as a He fan, I was like, oh, like Aaron Baines, like back of five, you know, they kind of get a little shooting variance. Um now we have Deadman, so we're good. But uh, he was also actually no, that's right. He got injured at the Olympics and it probably was played down a bit at the time, but I think it's turned out to be a pretty serious neck injury. Oh, so you're right. He you're slipped absolutely. in the shower, or like in some tiny Japanese shower, I'm pretty sure. And he's, he's busted his neck and he, yeah, he missed the That's whole... a fear of mine. Slipping, slipping in the shower. I have, uh, I have floors in my apartment. Sometimes, man, I get a little slippery and I'm, and I'm by myself here. So I was like, man, I can bust my head and nobody will know. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the reason why he's unsigned. He's probably still working through that. Actually, that makes more sense now. That's so. a huge buyout guy. That's going to be a dude that people are going to fight for at the buyout market. Miami's not going to need that, but you know, he that's going to that's going to be. I love I love the the guys who come from overseas, the guys returning from injury, like with the yeah. buyout war. That's hilarious. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anything to promote before we let you go? You should check out our podcast, Miami Heapy, on Twitter at Mi Heapy. We're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your pod. 
Uh, we're also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash We stream every we stream every pregame show and postgame show that we do. We have full coverage of the team. Uh, we do like uh, probably like three to, to five shows a week, depending on how intense the, the schedule is. We do pods on off days, you know, obviously pre and post game on game to our YouTube channel, Miami Heapy. Um, we've been doing this for, this is our ninth season doing Miami Heapy. It's been a, it's been a long time. Uh, we're, we're really excited. You know, last season we really kind of dipped our toes into streaming and we've had a ton of fun. We had our, uh, our, our first ever uh, hangover time is we had hangover time awards where we kind of, it was very self-indulgent, but we had a huge award show celebrating us because that's what we do. <laughs> Dwayne De- Dedman came on and presented the award for best segment, which was uh, uh, Deadman's uh, mechanic. We call him Mr. Deadman because we say that Dwayne Deadman looks like the mechanic in your neighborhood that works out of your Chevy. Uh, <laughs> so Ded- Deadman kind of came on and promoted the Deadman's garage. He had fun with us. So check out all we have on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter, our pod. I hope that, you know, you follow me on Twitter at Chinavas103, but more importantly, the pod. The pod's where it's at. <laughs> no worries. Other than that, we appreciate you coming on and best luck for your heat this season. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. See, the pick is in at number five, the Orlando Magic. Here's the commissioner, Adam Silver. With the fifth pick in the 2021 NBA Draft, the Orlando Magic select Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga University. Okay, joining us now to talk all about the Orlando Magic on Beyond the Fences NBA season previews, we have RK. You can find him on Twitter at Beyond the RK. Mate, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good, mate. Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, welcome to the doldrums. How are you feeling about the Magic coming into the season? Man, well, better than most years, I'll say that. I mean, this is probably the most excited Magic fans have been just to get behind a group of players in a long time, maybe, maybe since Dwight, maybe since Oladipo and Tobias, but it's been years since we've had this level of excitement in, in Orlando. Yeah, it's a common theme I think I've found amongst teams that are openly very like openly tanking and very, very young. It's the fans generally get around it, especially at the start of that cycle, which I think oh, the Magic are probably... It's all yeah, hope it's, and potential from here. Exactly. There's only up from here. So I think for some reason, NBA fans, especially in... I guess, smaller markets where there's probably less pressure. There's just, I don't know, there's that willingness to get around the guys. And it's, yeah, we had it last year in Detroit where it was, you know, going to be bad. So just enjoy the losses while they, you know, competitive losses. And I imagine it's going to be a pretty similar year for Orlando, just a bunch of young guys having fun. Exactly. I mean, it, it depends on the team's long-term strategy. Some some franchises like to fight for that seven seed and eight seed, and normally we are one of those franchises. But, you know, it's cool to take a shot in the lottery waters if, if that's where our, our hope for an actual, for finding an actual star lies. Yeah, I think at some point you've got to give up that purgatory and start fresh. Right, yeah. It depends on the team goals. Like, for instance, like they, like if this team started chasing a seven seed, we, we'd all be ecstatic in Orlando just because it, it, it screams upward trajectory for how young the players are and, and getting that type of experience. But, you know, before we kind of kind of hit our wall, it seemed like, of, of what the real like ceiling could be for that, that 48 Vucevic roster before. Yeah, there's a difference between fighting for the seventh seed with a bunch of 21-year-olds versus fighting for the seventh seed with a bunch of guys that are on post-rookie extensions that are clogging up the cap, isn't there? Right, in their prime, fighting tooth and nail for every bucket. But, you know, it it, it was an era nonetheless. Yeah. Um, 
what's the what's the most prevalent narrative do you reckon surrounding the magic heading into the season i know the media loves to bang on about you know this that and the other so what do you think it is Absolutely. Well, obviously, Isaac's made some headlines for his availability and whatnot, but uh, in the past few weeks, but I really think the national media narrative that's going to take over is Jalen Suggs rookie season. He's he's already in the spotlight. He's already getting marquee summer league games on national TV for Orlando. Like, I think we had more uh, national TV games for a summer league team than we did for our regular season team the year before. And it's it's just insane how popular Suggs already is. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Summer league is the one chance to shine, really. Um, on on Isaac, are you worried at all going into the season about him? Um, probably not as much as say Nets fans with Kyrie, because <laughs> we're not dealing with uh, certain factors. Like at the very least, there is, there is no, nothing keeping Isaac from actually playing, uh, like the city limits and the city rules and all that. Um, there even in Brooklyn and. Golden State, he can play there. It's it's just the home team's players who can't play in those cities. Yeah. So really, the availability comes down to just you know his response to if he gets COVID or or whatever it really is. So obviously, it's an X factor, and we'll see how it plays out. But so far, he's supposed to be healthy, not necessarily for the starting game, the first game, but he's supposed to be pretty close to coming back. And you know, we'll see if he can stay healthy through the season. So the Orlando's city guidelines are different to New York so they, they don't affect the home players at all right yeah it's a it's a pretty specific rule also just DeSantis with Florida in general is pretty loose with all, all the COVID rules and, and um, yeah. it pretty much allows a lot more I guess freedom for people <laughs> to make their choice yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but well, I think Isaac's like if he's healthy he he should be our best player he should be an impactful defender I mean he was in my opinion, in the race for defensive player of the year, when he was healthy for a few months, he was leading the league in steals and blocks, essentially tied with Anthony Davis. Now this is like before 2020, before the bubble even happened. Yep. He, this is the last time he was really fully healthy, but he was that good of a defender. So uh, what, you know, what we really want to see is, will that defense still be there? Probably. And let's see where the production lies now that he should get more of an opportunity and more on ball touches. I think that's, you know, the other big factor is, you know, will he be a number one option and will, what, how will Jalen Suggs look as a rookie in terms of, you know, his actual production and on ball scoring, will he be able to beat defenders off the dribble, all these things, which, you know, won't come easy for a rookie. So I'm, I'm excited and they're probably the bigger narratives coming into the year. Speaking of Suggs, I'm looking at the roster from Orlando and there doesn't appear to be a lot of turnover. So this question could almost be a default, but additional loss transaction wise, having the largest impact on the team coming in, is it Suggs? Right. Yeah. Suggs is the first one that came to mind. Um, just to switch it up for you. I also think the the Vucevic trade is the most re- recent transaction that, that really was a stark like point for which direction this team's going to take yep. because they were able to flip Vucevic, an all-star in his prime center for Wendell Carter, who seems to be at least a rotation player, a starter level big, who can do a little bit of everything. And on top of that, got two first round picks. So they got a top 10 pick this year that became Franz Wagner and a 2023 first in the Wembenyama draft, which is just <laughs> a huge piece of ammo. And obviously that's a little ways out, but that, 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 you know, ammo could be enough to make a trade or something. Who knows? So I think that transaction will really set us up for the future while placating the uh, current in the 
in the process. Yeah, it's it's actually, I'm glad you brought up, I guess, the setting up for the future because you look at some other rosters with young stars that have just gotten paid, like the immediate one that comes to mind is Shea in Oklahoma City and it's the whole keeping him happy while you're still obviously losing and setting up that future success. It doesn't appear like Orlando's really got that issue. There's no no one on this roster that you'd be desperately, you know, trying to prove that you can win. So I guess that that's kind of a nice comfort to have that you've got a bit of time on your side. That's a great point. There's not a there's not that clear franchise all NBA level player like waiting for his team to break out, kind of like Trey Young in Atlanta. There were rumors that maybe he could get antsy for a good team if if that didn't come around and then it did. So, you know, yep. maybe SGA does get impatient there because I mean, he, he's, I think, 23, fringe All-NBA and ready to compete. You know, what what does he want to tank for? So that's it's a great point that, that Jalen Suggs actually is like right on that fringe of he could be that, but until he is, Orlando doesn't necessarily have to go win now for him. You know, they can play this long-term game of maybe finding one or two more marquee prospects to throw in the fold and obviously, you know, chasing a star, whether that's trade, free agency, or um, targeting a prospect in the draft. But those rumors never go away. It, it followed Giannis yeah. right up until he won the, the bloody title. So it's, you, right. you could. We live in the rumor world. Once the rumor mill starts, it doesn't stop. Uh, what, what does a best case scenario season look like for the Magic? Sure. Optimistically, I can see this team being competitive. Let me start with this. I think it all hinges on health. Like if Isaac and Fultz can stay healthy, and give you at least 60 games. I mean, I, 80 would be amazing, but if they give you like most of the season, I think they can chase a play in seed. Why not? I mean, there's, there's only four other teams they'd have to beat out to be in that competition of a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seed range. And that's best case. Everything goes right. Isaac stays healthy and he's hitting and maybe takes a little mini leap there as well. But you know, that, that is optimistic and just kind of hopeful and may, maybe not as realistic as, we'd like it to be <laughs> uh is Fultz isn't back quite yet is he but is he like same timeline as Isaac start of the season almost correct yeah they were both rumored to almost be back but not quite for the start first game of the season Isaac and Fultz that is so they we should be expecting them back I, I think like within a couple weeks of the start um but I guess they're still on individual timelines and there's also a chance that um you know given the state of this roster that there, since there's no clear goals for the, the season, maybe they aren't necessarily like they, they still really are prioritizing player development anyway. Yeah. So if, if Bolts and Isaac miss two weeks and that means more starter reps for some of the young guys, I don't think they're necessarily being rushed back this season for any reason. No. And, and I mean, you know, Fultz, uh, I'm a huge Fultz guy, but he's probably hasn't had the greatest run of it. Um, right. You know, you just, I just really wanted to see him stay healthy because like what he brings to that Orlando team is just it's kind of different in that he's got that potential to be that three level or at least two level scorer getting inside he's he's got the prototype size now that all the point guards in the league seem to have whereas you know 10 years ago he would have been an average shooting guard and now like size shooting guard and now he's a big point guard so I just I I just really wanted to stay healthy because I'm a huge fan of him no doubt he's uh kind of one of those breakout candidates as well where Everyone just wants to see, may, will he increase his production? Obviously, the biggest factor is the jump shot, the three-pointer. 
Yeah. Um, because a lot of, like you said, a lot of everything else is there. He he has a well-rounded game. He can penetrate the paint, pull up in the mid-range, pretty much get wherever he wants and create shots for others. Um, but that that on-ball three-point pull-up jumper is is huge for his development and ability to just really. It, obviously, defenses have to change the way they guard you if if you're a pull-up threat as a point guard instead of being able to duck under screens and kind of yep. shrink the floor and everything. So. That's a big X factor, but he, I mean, he's definitely a, one of those guys who I, I think we all expect to hit his same numbers of 15, five and five. And everyone wants to see just how high he can take that production. Yeah. We don't like talking about it, but what's a worst case scenario then for Orlando? Is there even really sure. one with the expectations? Right. Yeah. I mean, worst case probably just comes back to injuries because there's really nothing like that could go. I mean, unless we're just terrible, but yeah, <laughs> basically like the worst case to me is Fultz and Isaac just not staying healthy. You have two players hurt the whole year. So where tanking is not even a choice where we're not even competitive while we get player development. That's the worst case is where like, we can't even, we can't even play an NBA team um, due to lack of health or depth. But I think we did little things to counter that slightly, maybe, maybe not as much wing depth, but, we're, we have quite a, a bit of veteran guards and shooters now. And there's also Robin Lopez down low to be a cannibal role man. Um, so I think there's a, a little more balance there to make up for it if there were an injury. But yeah, worst case is just uncompetitive, unhealthy, and you know tanking without a choice instead of that being the plan. <laughs> instead of competitive losses, yeah. yeah. I, I guess I'll flip it up a little bit then. What, what would a worst case scenario season for Jalen Suggs look like then? Sure. Um, worst case is that his on-ball scoring just doesn't translate at all, that that he's unable to create a shot for himself very, very often, but he's not able to blow by people. And these are just concerns. This is the worst case yep. that, that doesn't happen for him because he, he's flashed a little bit of basically having the ball skills and the smarts to be able to move around and cross up people and get to spots on the floor but he's not clearly blowing by these people, these, these NBA level speed athletes yet. So, um, you know, that, that's a big factor for just his scoring production and everything. Like, will he be an on-ball scoring creator or will he be the ultimate connector who can just do a little bit of everything and, and the absolute perfect player you want for attacking windows and passing lanes and angles and that, that sort of thing. It it might be a, a lazy, a lazy take, or a, you've read one draft express article take uh, a, a scouting report, and you've formulated this. But a lot's been made about Suggs's leadership, right? And I guess you look up and down this roster, and there's a few guys there that have been there, done that: the Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, um, Robin Lopez, Michael Carter Williams. But there's a lot of you know rookie scale guys still there. So, do you think Suggs's leadership has been? understated at all like what do you think his impact will have in that regard yeah um i i i think it's been talked a good amount in terms of like if if you want to involve his football acumen as well like that that idea of him being a quarterback and a leader of the team like that that has been hit but i actually think it's it, it is almost underrated in the fact that people have have shrugged it off a little bit like beat it's one thing to play quarterback or play football in high school. Like I did that as well, but it's another <laughs> thing or I, I played football, but um, it's another thing to be an all state 
Mr. Football, the quarterback of your state, and bring home three national championships to your school in a different sport. Like that, that he is a true dual sport, two sport athlete. Like where that's like Allen Iverson type of stuff. Where it's <laughs> Michael Vick or or it, these guys that can now obviously he's not that level of speed athlete, but in terms of dominance and and the ability to play guard and quarterback and really the the big thing for me is his awareness and anticipation, especially for. Def- making plays defensively is just one of the best at, at reading a pass lane, passing lane, jumping on it and forcing his will in transition. He, he's lethal in transition. Um, but yeah, to get back to the leadership, I, I think it's definitely there. You can see it almost every time he interviews, he, he's just smiling and confident and, and, you know, um, just giving off the, the idea of he, he wants to win and he's pissed if he loses. He was, he looked upset after a summer league game. Like <laughs> it, it, it's just, he, he wants it for sure. And that's, that can't be underrated. I think Cole Anthony also has a lot of these motivational skills. He obviously is the team's hype man. I mean, he just gets excited over anything. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's great to have this level of energy along with the coach. I mean, Jamal Mosley brings a lot of that energy as well. So it, it's a great match there of, of just high energy, transition play and and trying to be a defensive force who scores quickly. And obviously, um, you know, he wants to space the four, pass the ball and, and run the, and run. So um, we're going to be one of those, hopefully one of those young teams that somehow makes somehow does defend well and is a good transition team. And it, and that's a tough balance to find for a lot of teams, but, but that's the goal. And, and Jalen Suggs could be a vital part of that. Glad you mentioned Mosley. I did want to bring him up, obviously a first year head coach. What are your expectations for him? Right. I mean, he's supposed to seemingly beloved in the coaching circles. He's been around forever. He he worked in Denver and Dallas and um, comes highly regarded from Rick Carlisle. And like I was saying, it it seems like he wants to play just kind of modern basketball. You know, you you put your best five out there. He's talked a little bit about the positionless aspect that um, it's not necessarily about not having a position, but the idea that um, when you're on the court, you should be able to fill almost all the roles of all the positions. So if, if you get a rebound, a defensive rebound, and you're on the this team, you, you pretty much have the freedom to take it and push and, and create. And that could be anybody, depending on, you know, what lineup we throw out there. So he's already shown um, also the the uh, willingness to change lineups and, and just to play around. Like, I think he fully realizes – how like this season is about player development. I think it's a perfect match for what, uh, what Welt, Weltman and Hammond wanted in a coach and um, to tie together. I think the player relationship side of it all is what's most important. It's where this league is, is already at. It's, it's past headed there. And that um, having clear communication channels with your players, that is critical without being it's constructive criticism, basically. Um, that level of coaching and communication is huge. And I, and he's already one over the locker room. You see him having practicing with players, like getting reps in, like literally on the court, backing them down. Like he's doing it all. And uh, I, I, the magic are lucky to have him. I've just looked him up and I've, I've not before my time, but while I was a very small child, I didn't realize he played down here in Australia for a couple of seasons. So you're missing out on the ABA highlight or the, sorry, the NBA highlight. What was it? NBL. Um, NBL? 
I got ABA, NBA, but AB, uh, NBL, the highlight tape, the mixtape, it's like two minutes. It's one of the greatest mixtapes you've ever seen, and it's our head coach just dunking on <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the basketball media down here would have pushed that angle because they love an association, however tenuous, um, yeah, two years at the Victoria Giants slash Titans. So there you go. Uh, now yeah. that I've read that, I do remember them saying former Titans import. Yeah, it's sign of the magic. There you go. Um, let, let's young guys and rookie scale guys. The magic are loaded with them, and it might, might be Suggs, but it might not be. But I guess the guy that you're most excited for a breakout. Yeah, I have a different guy on this one. Chumo Okiki, I think, is 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 who we're looking for a big breakout this year. Um, I'll list off some some stats for you. Uh, we traded Aaron Gordon, and that cleared up a lot of playing time for Okiki. I, I think it made clear from day one that, you know, especially while Isaac was hurt, that he is the forward. He He's going to get the touches and the and the, the looks to, to score first. And we immediately saw a rise in production before the Aaron Gordon trade. He averaged, Chuma averaged 22 minutes a game, and he only started two of 27 games. He put up like four Or 64 so nothing that crazy and after the Aaron Gordon trade he got eight more minutes a game so he's he played 30 minutes a game he started 17 games and Chuma scored 13 points a game in that brought down five rebounds had three assists to one turnover two stocks to one foul and shot 45 35 80 from the field um, shooting essentially twice as many shots overall twice as many field goals overall er, and threes overall um, so that being said, I, I, I think that shows that um, his production is there. He, he clearly has this offensive skill to score and to either create a shot. He, he's just a funky player where he does. He has all these ball skills and awareness of being able to move around the floor and kind of it, it seems like he's waddling around, but he, he gets to the spaces he needs to get to. And um, he, he's really smart in the way he plays. And um, I, I think he, he could really break out, you know, maybe – Maybe he sees like a five point per game increase this year with just a few more touches and consistency because he's he's really probably one of our more reliable scorers when you when you really break down to who you know who can get a bucket or at least on their own who can create a shot for themselves at this level and he's one of the few probably that can and um, I, I'm definitely he, he can shoot it and and score so I'm excited to see how that production rounds out like maybe he can jump to 16 or 18 points a game this year and and make. You know, he, he made 35% on four threes a game during that late stretch after the Aaron Gordon trade. So, you know, why can't we see something like that for the full season? Yeah, it's got to be comforting to see that production, or the, at least the efficiency stay the same, if not slightly increased, but with a, a serious exactly. jump in, in the usage. So, yeah, he is a it's a funky body type and skill set. It's not, not atypical of the modern NBA, but a bit different. And, uh, you know, you're always looking for points of difference. So... Another yeah, guy advantage. Sorry to I just go off that point. I mean, it, it could. I, I think when it comes to playoff time, having unique or or slightly atypical scores, like you say, like that, that's a an advantage to have an unpredictable scoring option in the mix where teams can't play him. The they there is no clear scouting report for say a a Kyrie where you know he can literally take any shot on the court and get anywhere he wants. And even if you stop him, he's going to throw a reverse sideways off the top of the glass, like. There is no predicting what shot's coming. So that that unpredictability factor and kind of the the weirdness to his game could be a real advantage 
for certain matchups like everything else is. Another, another guy, and I don't want to dwell on this, but another guy I wanted to just quickly touch on, um, maybe not as a breakout, but just show me something, uh, Mo Bamba, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and he, when I remember when he got drafted, he was meant to be, you know, this unicorn as much as that term slightly annoys me, but it, that unicorn type of guy. Uh, and coming into his fourth season, injury issues, maybe just not the minutes he was expecting, but what are you hoping to see, if anything, from Bamba? Right. Um, I, I think this is a great fresh start for Bamba. He obviously didn't have a great, I mean, from the outside, didn't seem like he had a great relationship with uh, Steve Clifford, the former head coach there. And uh, basically just, I don't know if he ever, he did get the opportunity, but it, it was never really a consistent role and opportunity. The team wanted to make a, a seven seed or eight seed and, and Ken Birch was probably the better option for that. So he kind of got benched randomly quite often. Um, but I think there's, I guess I'm still a holdout, but I, I think there's still like certain upside with Bamba of, of essentially if he's asked to fill a certain role kind of in that unicorn stereotype where he's just a, a lob threat, a catch and shoot threat, a rebounder, a shot blocker, who's, who's, who's not asked to make decisions or create shots for himself or for others, but simply to like finish plays. He's a play finisher, a catch and shoot threat, a, a roller, a scorer. Like, I think there's a role there where basically, especially with uh, Wendell kind of bringing a more traditional element to the big man as a big man option, being a, a plus defender who knows where to be and set picks and, and doesn't really make mistakes. I think he's that reliable option while uh, Bamba is more of um, kind of, he, he, he should be more of a floor stretcher, rebounder, shot blocker. So it, just a little bit of different there where maybe he's more of a, he's a better popper and a better pick and pop threat with these guards and, um, I talked about it with Mark Schindler recently as well, where maybe he fits better with a Markel Fultz who can't really shoot on ball. So you have more of a popping three point threat versus um, Jalen Suggs and Wendell could work, you know, great. Or obviously I, I'm excited for Suggs and Chuma as well, but you know, maybe Wendell not being a great shooter, you pair him with the better on ball guards as well. So um, if Bamba is asked to play a certain role, I think he can fill it. And I'm excited to see him get, a little more production. I don't think Robin Lopez was here to replace him or even to take his minutes kind of like Ken Birch did. I think that signing similar to Etuan Moore was just kind of to fill the locker room with fun loving vets that everybody seems to love and also give something of a kind of a, a model for professionalism. Like th- this is what you need to do to just be a basic rotation player in this league, like an average player who made it 10 years like if, if you can show up to work and bring the same work ethic as Etuan and Robin Lopez and, and do the little things that they do, you, you'll have a long career. And I think they just want to build that atmosphere of professionalism and accountability and, and all that. If there is a guy in the magic that's going to win a, one of those individual awards, and for, I've also included, um, you know, like all NBA all-star, those sorts of like the team awards as well, but a guy getting that recognition, it, is there one and who is it and why? Sure. Um, I got two answers for you. I, I, I've also thought that Chuma and Fultz maybe could, you know, if they have a good breakout season, why, why can't they be an MIP talks? But they would probably need big, big increases to their scoring for that. Um, so I would say Suggs Rookie of the Year is kind of the obvious one. He, he's about third in odds right now. And going back to the first question, everyone, the whole national media, like, pretty much every fan of basketball just wants to see how, how good he is at this level. Like, cause 
everyone loves watching him. Like he, he's just, he makes a quick fan out of anyone that tur- turns on the screen. Cause he just makes exciting plays and uh, team first plays that everybody enjoys. So his production will come down to that. Cause like he, he should have the opportunity. So will he score more than Jalen green or Cade or Mobley? I'm pro- maybe Mobley, but, um, but pro- probably not the other ones this first year. I, I, I love Mobley long-term, but maybe scoring-wise, uh, Suggs takes them. Um, but that would be the one award that I would say is likeliest. But to me, if Jonathan Isaac stays healthy, he's making an all-defensive team. And if he doesn't, it's highway robbery. Because I, I was <laughs> mad at that he, he didn't even get, like, acknowledged that that last year. Now, he had a tiny sample size. He missed, like, half the season. But – to me, if you're a top, if you're like clearly the best defender or top three defender for, you know, half this half the year, that means a little more than being like a plus defender the whole year. And, and he got less votes than some of those guys. So that that as a random magic fan who's looking at seventh place on all D votes really ticks me off. But <laughs> this is this is the year. Uh, if he stays healthy, I can't. Isaac's got to make an all D team. If he if, if he plays sixty games, it's just it, it would be mind blowing if he doesn't make it. Uh, is there any credence also to maybe someone like Terrence Ross being a six man candidate? Yeah, I mean he's he's always good enough to get that award. I think it's more like our team isn't so it, like he's good for that fifteen points. He's a walking bucket. He might not get the same looks. Like I know Clifford relied on him nine times out of 10 to run stagger screens. Like that was our bench offense for three years, just that. And, you know, we might run some of those, but I, I think it's been clear so far that uh, Mosley wants to move the ball more and maybe get everybody off ball a little more action as well. So hopefully it's more of um, just within the flow of the offense, but you know, Terrence is probably our best shooter still and will probably be the best bench scorer again. He could easily get the numbers of 15 points a game right there for six man. So Again, I think that'll come down to uh, just not being good enough as a team, but you never know. That's not, you know, an MVP award where you have to be a top seed. It, it just goes to the best. Normally it does go to someone like him too, like a Lou Williams type is the stereotype anyway for the award. So voters do gravitate to that. So if the numbers are there, yeah, but I'm not sure the ones will will be. Yeah. Now I don't know how much of a betting man you are, but I ask everyone this, the how they're feeling about their team's wins line. And Orlando, according to the website I've or the list I've been using are the lowest wins line set at 23 and a half along with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are you taking over or under dragging the dragging the roster down you know I sadly I got to take the under here I think because there's just too many factors going against it um basically like realistically one guy is probably going to be hurt at a time because that's just the way it goes with the magic. And I think that is something where we can overcome it with only one guy out and still be semi-competitive, like one important guy. But, you know, the moment two players get hurt, there's just so it's really, especially if it's Isaac and Fultz, like the two best players or something that get hurt. It, it's just really hard for this roster to have enough to stay competitive. And we could be right back into tanking, like tanking without a choice. I, I'd say it's, like you're betting against the injuries really more than anything. Cause we, we mentioned earlier, optimistically, I think they can easily make a 10 seat if they're healthy, yeah. but play in game, or they can fight for that range of teams. Like if they're healthy because of how good Isaac is defensively and just kind of how complimentary this whole roster is. But I, I wouldn't want to be the one betting on the magic staying healthy. <laughs> to me, if you're, 
the team line is set that low, I feel like it's almost disrespectful <laughs> to, yeah. to just not at least hopefully chuck a a ten dollar you know over. Yeah, but... they, I mean, why not? I mean, as a Magic fan, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly right. <laughs> but but no, there, there seemed to be something money, about <laughs> something about the injuries in Orlando the last few years. It always it's in the back of your mind. It's really tough to just bet that we're going to, that Bamba and Fultz and Isaac are going to stay healthy, but after yeah. everything we just went through, but I, that, that would be my realistic bet, but sure. As <laughs> I think, like I, I can make the case. We're, we're going to fight for that 10 seed, you know, uh, the, other side is the team goals as well. Sorry, but just the, uh, just the fact that there are no clear season goals, like the fact that we're, we're not even publicly saying we're chasing the playoffs, like that kind of shows me that, you know, if if the front if if even the team like the coach is behind the idea of player development, that there probably isn't like we're we're not clearly chasing wins in a playoff. That kind of overarching goal tells me that you wouldn't want to like. It, there's a chance at any point that they're ready to pull the the rug out and just be yeah. bad the rest of the year. And especially like if they're forced to and they don't want to risk injury, maybe they just rest some guys more often. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I guess. You know, you can give me a safe prediction if you want, but a, a prediction of whatever heat level. Yeah. Um, what I expect for the team, I, I would say just a competitive young group of players. As, as long as we have good health, everyone's going to, especially Magic fans, obviously, but we're, everyone's going to enjoy watching this team. Like it's going to be a league pass darling because we're just going to be in a bunch of games and we'll – I'm basically expecting just a never ending drive and kicks. And that's the way I, I like to watch basketball as it is, but I, I'm, I'm expecting between Fultz and Suggs and Cole Anthony and even RJ Hampton, just these, these forces into the paint that all, all those guys pretty much can, can beat their man and, um, or at least create a shot for themselves or, or others through pick and rolls with the help. Uh, and um, thankfully we have, the personnel where we can run a lot more off ball actions. Like we, we can try to get Chuma or Franz Wagner, some stagger screen looks off a screen, or maybe we run a, a two pick set, like double drag or horns or Spain, where um, basically like for Fultz, where the more confusion there is, the more he can operate and, and maneuver and, and get his way into the paint where maybe he creates a shot for himself or others. So I'm I'm definitely excited to just see an, an onslaught, never ending, just drive and kick and and just we have all these players who can seemingly, you know, they're basketball players, quote unquote, who do a little bit of everything, and we, we're just going to put our best five out and compete. And I'm definitely excited to watch it, and I, I think every, everyone's going to enjoy the product finally, even though we we literally might have the worst team in ten years for this franchise. The product itself might be more watchable, and that's what everyone can get behind funny how that works isn't it sometimes um more losses equals more entertainment uh even even for the the massacres out there like you and i who like watching our bad teams play i mean there's probably a enjoyment in the pain element that certain fans just get used to after a while yeah yeah i mean that and i think it's that lack of expectations more than anything it's just like we're it's all hope. It's all upside. Maybe, maybe somebody breaks through and, and breaks out as a star, but if not, we'll, we'll take another swing and hope Chet or Victor Wembanyama or Chet Holmgren or, or somebody like that saves us going forward. If it doesn't work out. Yeah, of course. Um, anything you want to promote before we get out of here? 
nothing at the moment that I'm working on, but if you want to check out any work on the magic, you can find me at Beyond the RK. Too easy. Thank you for coming on and good luck to your magic this season. Thanks a ton for having me. Have a good one. In the corner. Beal all the way to the hoop for the monster dunk. Oh my God. Oh my. <laughs> no, it's not Sunday, but Andre Drummond just got baptized. <laughs> I mean, check this out. Uh, 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 uh. Wow. And he's he's letting you know right there. And joining us now to talk all things Washington Wizards on Beyond the Fences NBA season preview from Bullets Forever, Ben Mayhitch. Mate, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Ah, oh, really good. Thanks. Yeah, it's finally getting into the new season. How are you feeling about the Wizards just as an, on a general level? You know, I think this is the most uh, put-together Wizards team that I've um, covered in, in years, probably since the 2017 season when they were ultra-competitive in the, in the playoffs and, and pushed the Boston Celtics to the brink in that uh, Game 7 and semifinal. So I think the Wizards fans finally have something to look forward to after a couple of years of uh, really some dysfunction and, and quasi-rebuilding. I think they finally have a competitive group on their hands. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned quasi rebuilding it's it's always a bit frustrating for teams of uh, sorry for fans of teams i guess in that seven eight nine ten well what we now know as the play in that purgatory kind of area do you think there's a bit of a refreshing attitude about the wizards this year then yeah and and uh you look at the eastern conference it's not like they added you know a superstar that's going to push them over that that play in spot or or on that that fringe that you speak of but on on the whole i think they're going to be a lot more consistent you're going to sort of know what to expect from them whereas last year this team started 6 and 17 um and it's and, and it really took a miracle last 30 games of the playoffs or, or the regular season where russell westbrook looked like an mvp caliber player and and they got extraordinarily uh, lucky in that regard and and you know the schedule wise I think they had some things in their favor too and they they managed to sneak into the playoffs I don't think you'll have that sort of um, whiplash effect this season the the team is is a lot more stable they're a lot deeper than than what Wizards fans are accustomed to so I think you know although they'll still be in that six through eight spot probably um, you'll have a more competitive team on a a night in night out basis yeah and I guess with the Wizards, there's been a lot of uh, guys coming through the door that would, could be considered, I guess, MVP level players or, you know, top of the league echelon point guards. So I guess from a narrative perspective, what's the the most prevalent narrative coming into the season for the Wizards? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Bradley Beal, right? He's sort of controlling the destiny of the team. He's got the organization in the palm of his hands. Uh, they, they already offered him uh, a max level extension of four years um, and it's basically up to him to decide whether he wants to sign that wait until the offseason so he can get that five-year additional um, year on that max level extension which puts the wizard sort of in a bind um, do they risk him entering unrestricted free agency with the chances of teams like the boston celtics miami heat and so on um, throwing their their names in the hat for bradley beal um, I, i'm not sure if tommy shepherd wants to do that so bradley beal sort of is in control of the wizard's destiny if the wizard's uh, struggle early on or, or perhaps don't live up to expectations and, and struggle, Tommy Shepard will have to decide whether it's time to actually let Bradley Beal go and actually hit that rebuild button that they've been so hesitant to hit uh, for these past several years. Um, and if they play really well, 
Bradley Beal will have all the more incentive to re-sign in Washington and really solidify himself as the face of the franchise for the foreseeable future. So really, this season is all about Bradley Beal. Do, do you have an early, I guess, not inkling, but what you what you think might happen? Do you think there's a pretty low chance he'd sign anything right now? I think there's a pretty low chance, and, and he has no reason to sign, right? I mean, he can sign this sort of at any point. He can wait until the offseason. He knows the Wizards want him. Um, as far as we know, he's he's told the Wizards nothing other than I want to be here, uh, which is a good sign. He's been very loyal to the organization. And he's one of those players. He's a really smart guy. You look around the league, um, where else can he go and be the face of the franchise? The Wizards might be the lone spot right now. Um, how many players can say that they were the face of the franchise uh, throughout the course of their careers? There aren't many. And Bradley Beal knows that this is a very rare situation. And he, his trajectory, the development of his game tends People or people tend to think that you know if he continues to grow, he can continue to you know maybe crack into that MVP conversation, and Bradley Beal can can really solidify himself as one of the best players in franchise history. So um, I think he has reason to wait, but also you know there's plenty of incentive for him to eventually sign that contract. So if I were to guess, I think Bradley Beal does eventually sign it. Um, you know it's not unheard of for a player a year or two into their extension to ask out. We're obviously seeing that happen with Ben Simmons with four years left on his contract. So um, Bradley Beal, players of his caliber, they're always going to control where they play. So even if he does sign an extension, that's never going to mark the end of uh, Bradley Beal trade rumors. He's been dealing with them for really his rookies since he was a rookie. Yeah, it never ends. Even Giannis kept got, like, got it every year pretty much until he won a title. And even then, it's probably still going to keep going. Right. Exactly. Uh, the. The Wizards, I guess, had a, a fair bit of turnover over the last couple of years and, you know, shuffling, getting Beal some help, et cetera. So from a transaction perspective, what do you, which one of those do you think has the most impact on the team this season? I mean, I mean, they, they completed the most complex trade in NBA history, uh, that, that multi-team trade that sent Russell Westbrook to LA, a slew of players to, to Washington and, and picks and, and, and so on to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, that landed Spencer Dinwiddie in, in Washington, Kyle Kuzma in Washington, KCP, uh, Montrez Harrell. These are really quality role players. So from a transactional point of view, you look at the Wizards um, offseason, it was basically their offseason was complete once they did that trade because they filled multiple holes. Now they finally have a 3 and D player in KCP that they've been missing since Trevor Ariza left. Uh, they finally have uh, a capable backup in Montrez Harrell, a former six man of the year. Kyle Kuzma, relatively unknown player, but should take some of the scoring load off Bradley Beal. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, you look at him. Uh, the Wizards have had superstar point guards for years, well over a decade. You had Gilbert Arenas in the mid-2000s, John Wall shortly thereafter, and then Russell Westbrook. So he's not a superstar. He's not Gilbert. He's not John. He's not Russ. But he's sort of more steady in the half court, right? These are players who are incredibly ball dominant. Spencer comes in. He knows his role. Uh, probably a better defender than all three at this point in, their, in his career and is going to be able to play a bit more steady offense in the half court, whereas Russ and John, basically the fulcrum of their offense was was dependent upon them getting out in transition. And then once, once things broke down in half court, you saw the Wizards offense uh, start to stagger. So the Wizards have steady players now is basically what I'm trying to say. All these players, you know what you're going to get from them. And it's been a very long time since they had 10 or 11, 12 quality NBA players on their roster. It's like I said, for the first time since really 2017. I was literally just about to say, is this the most, you know, quality depth that the Wizards have had? Because I think the last few years, the rotation's kind of fallen away a little bit quickly. You know, once you get to that eight, nine man, then it becomes, you know, a bit of a, 
a lottery. So yeah, you look up and down this roster, even guys you, like that have been here for a few years now. Thomas Bryan obviously still coming off the injury, but then Rui, Denny Avdia, Den, uh, I'm a big fan of Daniel Gafford as well. So you look up and down this roster and yeah, like you said, it's probably the, the first time they've been able to fill quality depth where guys who would be getting 15 minutes a night on a lot of other NBA teams might be struggling to find regular minutes here. Yeah, and you don't have um, semi-sort of uh, fringe NBA players on the roster or playing major minutes anymore. Um, you know, with all due respect to someone like Isak Banga, he started opening night last year for the Washington Wizards, last season for the Wizards, and now he's out of the NBA. And there's some players, they had like four or five of those players playing regular minutes last year who are no longer in the NBA. And, and that just really speaks to the lack of depth they had um, you know, John Wall basically made up the crux of their their cap space as did Bradley Beal. And after that, there was a significant drop off in talent. I mean, the gap between Bradley Beal and, you know, the fourth player on the team was massive. I mean, the fourth player probably wouldn't play rotation minutes on any good NBA team. But, you know, just by virtue of having Russ and Beal, they were able to sneak into the playoffs. Now, you there's not a huge gap between, you know, Rui Hachimura and Kyle Kuzma or, uh, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and Aaron Holiday. There's some gap, but those guys can all play minutes on basically every team. So what I'm basically saying is the Wizards have uh, a competitive team on their hand. And, and Wes Unsell Jr., a coach who um, is known for strategies, uh, someone who's really paid uh, a special attention to the X's and O's part of it, whereas, you know, over the past five years, Scott Brooks has, has really run an isolation-heavy offense uh, entirely dependent upon John Wall, Russell Westbrook, and Bradley Beal. Now you'll see a mix of players getting involved. And you saw that in just the first preseason game. Players were, were swinging the ball in ways that they hadn't before. You'll see Denny Avdia used in, in actions that he wasn't his rookie year. He was basically a standstill shooter his rookie year. If you look at the scouting report, he's not a standstill shooter. He wasn't drafted in the lottery for that reason. He's a secondary playmaker. And Wassan Sal Jr. Uh, just recently in a practice said that he's using him as a secondary ball maker. That, that really stood out during his time in Israel. So I think Wizards players and rotation players will actually start to play the roles that they were, that they were, you know, accustomed to playing in their previous times before landing in Washington. So that's an exciting thing. I think you'll see players like Denny and Rui get utilized in ways that they weren't under Scott Brooks. Yeah, you mentioned Wes, Un- Wes Unsell Jr. as well, obviously a first year head coach in the NBA. Do you have any expectations for him? I have extraordinary expectations for him. And I've spoken to a number of people um, in Denver. Um, as soon as Scott Brooks and, and the Wizards couldn't come to terms, what's unselled, I heard from a source, was immediately a name that came to the Wizards' mind. He has obvious ties to the, to the team, given the legacy, but he's also coached in Washington. He's coached in Golden State, Orlando, and, and he was an associate head coach in Denver. And he played a strong role in, in rolling out uh, a good defense with players like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic who aren't necessarily known for their defense. So um, he, he's a guy who's who plays special attention to detail, um, heavy on X's and O's. And I think he's he mentioned that he's still sort of uh, learning how to manage the locker room, the personalities, so to speak. But from the basketball standpoint, the Wizards, I think, got a serious upgrade. Uh, whereas Scott Brooks, who's probably a better uh, locker room leader, he's obviously uh, seasoned. He's been an NBA head coach, a former NBA coach of the year. Uh, but and the, on the flip side, Scott Brooks was never really known for, uh, you know, his special offenses or anything like that. He was fortunate enough to coach Durant, Harden, Russ, and, and Beal, and Wall, and so on. So never really had to uh, focus on player development. Whereas West Unsell Jr., I think, is going to going to really focus on developing some of the some of the players that sort of fell by the wayside in previous years. Is is the hot take that hot that you got the sirens behind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what, what does the what does the best case scenario for the Wizards look like this season? No, best case scenario, Spencer Dinwiddie plays like the player uh, pre-ACL injury where he was sort of a borderline all-star, averaging 20 points, eight assists a game, um, uh, an improved three-point shot, and really in that conversation for an all-star bid in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Bradley Beal stays healthy. Players like Thomas Bryant come back uh, and contribute off the bench. Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia continue to develop because these are players that the Wizards expect to be a part of their core long-term. Uh, Denny Avdia, who who's extraordinarily skilled, but hasn't really get, well, hasn't really gotten an opportunity to show that in the NBA yet, just because of the limited offense the Wizards ran last year. So, best case scenario for the Wizards, all these things click. They remain healthy, which they weren't and haven't been in years. Uh, Russell Westbrook played with a torn quad last year, which uh, he didn't reveal until he was healthy. So, like 30, 40 games into the season. Uh, so, best case scenario, this team finally uh, is healthy. Um, the young guys continue to develop, and and they outplay you know, the Knicks and, and, and these other teams that that have really shown to be, uh, you know, consistent teams in that four or five range. Maybe they'll have a Hawks type jump. So I think if all things work out according to plan, which they typically don't, but if all things do in Washington, then they'll have a Atlanta Hawks type jump where you can see them competing for, you know, a semifinal spot or maybe even a, a bit to the Eastern Conference. Because when you look at the conference, it's it's top heavy, right? You got the Bucks, you got the Nets. And after that, it's all sort of even. Uh, if the Wizards can really get in that uh, battle for that three, four, five spot, then I think um, things in Washington will finally, the conversation and the narrative around the Wizards will finally take take a turn in similar ways that it did Atlanta just this past year. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison when you look at a young team that's got a lot of pieces um, and that one star looking to make that jump. I guess you said things never work out as well as you hope. So worst case scenario, what does that look like? The worst case scenario, um, this team just, just doesn't gel right away. Wes Sunset Jr. has a hard time sort of um, getting them acclimated schematically early on, uh, perhaps an injury to Bradley Beal, because they still do lack depth there, right? I mean, if Beal goes down, this team is pretty much uh, done, right? They're, they're definitely deeper, but they do lack star power. When Russ is gone, uh, he could have carried the team when, when Beal was out, as he did at times last year. Um, now with that star power gone, if Beal misses some time, the Wizards could easily slip in the standings. And if that happens, the record suffers. And then, of course, Bradley Beal's reasoning to stick around uh, lessons as well. So if that if all of that happens, uh, worst case scenario, Bradley Beal asks for a trade uh, come February, the trade deadline, and, and the Wizards hit uh, that rebuild button once and for all. But even then, if that's the worst case scenario, then the Wizards finally put their entire focus on on getting some new young talent, developing Denny, Rui, Gafford, etc. So the worst case really is not that bad, given the returns that you know, James Harden has gotten, Drew Holiday I've gotten. I imagine Bradley Brio would also uh, ascertain a massive return. So worst case scenario, not all that bad in Washington, I don't think. Yeah, and I guess that would also include, you know, obviously the expectations around this team are going to be competitive for that lower end of the <clears throat> of the playoffs um, or, you know, play-in spot. So I guess missing that play-in spot would also fall under that. Right, of course. I mean, they, they can't afford to really miss the playoffs or really even put themselves in that play-in position. I, I think they're aiming higher, right? That seems a lot better on paper than they were last year. Coaching, they should be better. I mean, they've improved really in every corner of the basketball franchise. So they should be out of that play-in spot. I think that's the expectation internally, that they want to be, you know, five or six seed, worst case. 
Uh, Bradley Beal, they think, is is that good of a player. He's averaged 30 points a game for two seasons in a row. Now he doesn't have to carry that heavy of a load. He's got players who can who can help him now. And I think the Wizards are looking at him and saying, hey, prove it to us too. Prove us that they can be a franchise player. You've got some pieces to work with and and take that jump that you know the Hawks have taken. So uh, I, I don't even think a play-in would be necessarily a successful uh, season for them. I think they want to solidify a playoff spot come uh, you know playoff time. Uh, worst case, five or six seed for them. Now, there's a lot of guys on Washington that could probably fall under this category of, you know, excitement for a breakout season. So of the, you know, the underrated guys or the younger recent draft picks, rookie scout guys, which one of those are you most excited for having a breakout season? I mean, Daniel Gafford single-handedly changed the team last year. I mean, he, he was basically relegated to end of the bench in Chicago, and Chicago wasn't very good last year. Uh, so when the Wizards traded Troy Brown Jr., a former 15th overall pick for him, uh, Wizards fans immediately, they became skeptical. How, did, how can you possibly trade Troy Brown Jr. for a guy we haven't even heard of? And here comes Daniel Gafford immediately vaults their defense up to 19th after they were 30th, right? Um, they, they start actually looking good defensively. He's, he becomes one of the league leaders in rim protection and, and blocks. And he boosts their rebounding. And he looks of the ilk of a Jared Allen, a Clint Capella, these these rim-running big men uh, who don't necessarily need the ball to be as impactful as really a center can be in the NBA in modern basketball. So I think Daniel Gafford is a guy to watch for. I don't know if you, if any of your listeners play fantasy basketball, but this is a guy who is going gonna, is gonna to really fill the stat sheet with blocks and rebounds. Uh, again, this modern-type big man that the Wizards have lacked for a really long time. I mean, the last time the Wizards had an athletic big that could do these things was JaVale McGee, and he wasn't nearly as polished as Daniel Gafford is at this age. So Gafford has really been a gem uh, for, for Tommy Shepard, who's consistently proven and found these random uh, you know, fringe NBA players who look like fringe NBA players in their previous stints, but all of a sudden in Washington have shown to be valuable pieces. So Daniel Gafford, I think if he continues to play at the way he's played, could end up getting one of those massive Jared Allen type extensions. Yeah. And another guy, I guess I wanted to touch on, he probably doesn't fit under the, the categories that I have on the note sheet as well, but I think Kyle Kuzma's had one of those careers where he's been good, but it's always this, like this wanting more, um, surrounding yeah. him so I guess from that perspective what what would a, a jump from Kuzma look like and he's an interesting player because I think some of that is attributed to the virtue of him having played in Los Angeles I mean if Kyle Kuzma played in Charlotte I'm not sure we'd be talking about him much um, but he, his star has been elevated in Los Angeles he's shown that he can be a very capable NBA player but in Washington he's going to battle for minutes with Denny and Rui who the franchise is very high on Kuzma, if he were to take that jump, I think he'd continue to show that he's more than just a scorer. He can distribute a bit. He can play defense because that's what you need a wing player to do nowadays. And the Wizards need him to score as well. So if you can do that efficiently, continue to knock down threes, but do it within the flow of the offense. I mean, there's times where Kuzma throughout the course of his career has sort of forced shots, almost, uh, uh, almost with the mentality that, hey, I'm going to show you guys that I can score, that I'm an elite scorer in the NBA. But, you know, the, the league knows that he can do that. He needs to sort of diversify his offense and do it on a more consistent basis than he's been doing it. So uh, Kuzma doesn't need to go out there and average 20, 23 points a game. If he can give them 15, 16 a game, a couple of assists, and continue to play a consistent defense, I think the Wizards would be happy with that sort of production. And, and I think Kuzma should be too. Yeah, I think it's it's always a chance for a fresh start. Um, is he going to start or is he looking at six-man level? 
Yeah, I, I, at this point, I don't think he's going to start. I mean, West Unsell Jr. sort of alluded to Contavious Caldwell-Pope starting at the three alongside Bradley Beal, and Rui Hachimura sort of penciled in as the starting there. Um, and then, of course, uh, you're out of slots there. Uh, I think as a sixth man, he can make a, a huge impact for the team. I like him personally as a starting three. He's bigger than, than KCP, can defend some of those bigger forwards and switch a lot better than maybe KCP could. But that's to be that's to be determined. His play, I think, will determine the, the slots. West Sunset Jr. is sort of coming in here with an open mind. It's a brand new roster, a brand new team. Everybody's coming in with a clean slate. So if he earns it, he earns it. But I think as of now, the team has sort of alluded to KCP starting at that three. Yeah, okay. Um, there's probably a really obvious answer for this one, but a player on the, on the Wizards that's most likely to win one of those individual awards, whether it is one of those end-of-season um, you know, individuals or even you know, All-NBA or All-Star. There's an obvious answer, isn't it? So maybe besides Bradley Beal, but is there anyone else? I don't think it's that obvious. I mean, I guess I could throw it back to you. If Bradley Beal were to win an individual award, what, what award would he win? I mean, the MVP is sort of, uh, you know, extraordinarily difficult unless the Wizards just exceed every single expectation. So for this one, I'd probably go Rui Hachimura. I mean, the expectations for him internally, I'm not quite sure what it is outside the league, uh, what fans think of him, but the Wizards really think that he can be a star. Uh, he's not with the team currently for personal reasons, but they expect that to change at some point. Once he does rejoin the team, the Wizards expect him to start, play really solid defense, and score at a high level. Um, so if he can continue on the trajectory that they fully expect, um, average maybe 20, 20 and 7, something like that, I think he'd be in the conversation for most improved player. And as we've known with these individual awards, it sort of correlates with how your team does. So the Wizards do play as well as they think they can, and Rui does take another jump, which he's shown he can, um, he can be in the conversation for that most improved player. Yeah, and you look at that most improved award and it, it it's usually primed for, you know, that third year guy. It's right. generally the year, because I, I don't think the league, well, at least personally, I don't really value giving it to a second year player because that's literally just the expected leap. But once you get that third, fourth year, um, that's when you start to, you know, get a bit of notice. And that's generally when they start to look at that uh, leap. I guess on that Beal front, yeah, like you said, individual awards, it ties pretty much entirely with team success for that for that sort of thing. So I think definitely if, like you say, Beal's, if Beal's leading the Wizards to, well, it'd have to be like the top end of the right. the Eastern Conference, like a third or fourth seed, um, if not higher. Uh, they just have an amazing season and Beal goes nuclear, then, then he's probably in MVP race. But I don't think the rest of the team surrounding him is good enough to carry him to the MVP, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think Denny Avdian is another player to watch in terms of just uh, improvement. And I think that'll just come by virtue of his role changing. Last year, like I said, he was a standstill shooter. His usage rate was less than Isak Bonga's. I think it was like 7.4. He was basically just an afterthought in the offense, which is a very curious thing because they, they drafted him for the purpose of um, making the offense more dynamic, right? He's 6'10". He can play some point guard. Um, he's, he's very good off the ball as well in terms of a, a cutter and sort of just making the offense flow a bit better. Yet, he was just stuck in the corner all year last year. So I think, you know, the casual fan who doesn't necessarily watch the Wizards because they didn't have reason to watch them last year uh, might have looked at Denny Adia's numbers and thought, wow, this kid's a bust. But I think this year you'll see his numbers take a bit of a leap because, you know, West Sunset Jr. is already talking about putting him at the four and five spot and letting him handle the ball a bit more. So that's an exciting development. I think as, as an NBA fan to watch um, a player who can really do things that a lot of players with his size can't do 
um, you know, I think the expectations with the Wizards is he can he can be a more, you know, I, I guess, a, a watered-down version of Ben Simmons, right? Someone who can give you 10, 6, and 7, something like that, with good defense in uh, that sort of Lamar Odom, uh, Ben Simmons role, if all things, you know, fall into place for him. Yeah, and with that role change, obviously there's the expected scoring increase. And you look at the, the final the finalists for the most improved award last year. It was basically, you, you know, the, the main role guys who had those big scoring jumps, you know, Julius Randle, Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter. Obviously, Randle helped carry New York probably to a surprise fourth seed. But just that general, it's it's pretty it's a pretty numbers award that it, uh, based on year-on-year increases. So in that regard, with his role change, and Denny probably is in that mix as well, even though, like I just said, I don't, really enjoy giving it to second year guys just because you're expecting that that leap but um yeah I guess if you look at you know how limited they were last year then from a purely numbers perspective Denny's definitely in that mix yeah Uh, absolutely I'm sorry you go you go no I I, that that was all I had (laughs) uh okay now Vegas wins totals and the article I've been reading to get all these numbers it's, I think I'm probably going to guess your answer for this one based on how you've been talking about the Wizards so far, but their line is set at 34 and a half. So over or under? Yeah, I think, I think it's a safe over. Um, uh, you, you look at the roster, the, the, how great Bradley Beal has been over the last few years. Just by sheer, um, I think, depth, they're going to they're gonna reach that over number. Um, perhaps they're not going to win 47, 48 wins as they hope to win. But I think, you know, over 34 wins, that's, that seems like a, it's, it's very on the low end. And teams are going to sustain injuries. I think the Wizards are built to sort of um, get over that. Whereas in the past, you know, if the starting point guard or center went down, they kind of, the, the, you can sort of pencil them in for a loss. And nowadays, with 10 or 11 deep, um, Antras Hero coming off the bench, Kuzma, and et cetera, I think they're going to be able to, uh, you know, withstand some, some natural injuries that come throughout the duration of an NBA season. So, I think just by virtue of having the depth that they have, they're going to get over that number. No question. Yeah. If you even look at last season, they won 34 games in that shortened season at uh, 38 win pace. So I guess you're really banking on them just improving relative to the rest of the conference at a level that, you know, isn't too ridiculously high. And then, yeah, that it it looks like a, it could be a 40 win team, you know, at probably a minimum um, or a pretty safe, a pretty safe bet. And, and you just look at the way the team played last year. They, they lacked so much depth that Howell Neto was playing power forward at times. I mean, last, <laughs> and, 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 and that's, you know, it's, I wish I was kidding about that because it was, you'd pull your hair out watching it. And, and there are times when you couldn't even blame Scott Brooks because he had nothing to work with. Uh, no disrespect to some of the players in the roster, but you know, there were times when he was rolling out um, a lineup of, of Ish Smith, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, and Hal Neto. And all those players are six foot three and under. And he did that in the playoffs against Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. There was times when Hal Neto was switched on Joel Embiid, which is just entirely ridiculous, right? But that was just <laughs> the, the, the status of the team's depth. And, and Hal Neto's back. And this is a player who was getting regular minutes who might not even be in rotation this year, so to speak, because Aaron Holiday is also competing for that spot. So uh, I, I think you're right. This team has has improved their depth a lot. They don't have to do things by committee anymore. And when Thomas Bryant went down, they were playing Robin Lopez. They are playing Alex Len. Um, Anjash Pasajniks was not even in the NBA anymore. These three players were just playing 15, 20 minutes at times and just making up for the loss of Thomas, Thomas Bryant by committee. If you're doing things by committee in the NBA, that just means you, you don't have enough talent on the roster to spill to fill those those spot minutes that you got to play. And the Wizards were doing a lot of things by committee. 
uh, and by committee, it was just hoping to God that Bradley Beal had a 50-point night that didn't end in a loss. <laughs> and you had that happen a lot as well last year. So um, I think this Wizards team is going to be a lot less frustrating. And if you're an NBA fan with league pass and you just want to watch competent basketball, you're going to get that from the Wizards. You won't get the flash from Russell Westbrook. There's no John Wall uh, um, fast break blocks or anything like that. They might, may not show up on Sports Center very much, but you'll get some good solid basketball from the team, I think. Yeah, so, so what you're saying for the bold prediction then is that uh, that Aaron Holloway is competing with Hal Neto for backup power forward minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do, do, you have a, do you have a bold prediction then for the season? Uh, bold prediction, I, I, think, I think the Wizards, um, if bold, all right, I, I say they, they get home court advantage in the playoffs and they finish fourth in the Eastern Conference. All right, I back it. Let's go. Uh, anything to promote before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, you can always uh, follow our coverage at Bullets Forever. Um, we, we cover basically uh, the, the, the team on a daily basis. Um, I, I have some stuff periodically on the Washington City paper as well. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Mahich NBA. I promise the Wizards for the first time in a long time are going to be some a fun basketball team to watch, so definitely tune in. Yeah, I can endorse definitely the Bullets Forever. All the SP Nation sites do great work on a daily basis covering their teams. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck to your Wizards this season. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.